welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio, episode 331, and we have Nick Mutton coming on to talk with us. And uh, real quick, before that happens, in maybe like a minute or two, Dave Palumbo is going to call in and give us some updates on Southeast Carpet Fest. Um, cool. But, but until then, Owen, okay. what's going on? Yes. <laughs> How uh, you been? Well, uh, good. No, but um, good to hear. It was, uh, <laughs> end of episode. No, it was, uh, it was a good weekend. Uh, I went down to Habit of Grace, uh, which I do okay. every once in a while. It's It's a tiny... Little thing. This must have been the most people I've ever seen go through the doors of a Habit of Grace in my entire life. And really? it, they were all like, there was a line, which I wasn't prepared for. It was packed with people. Um, oh. So it was a very good turnout, uh, which once again, never seen this many people there before in my life. This would have been a, a, a very sad crowd at a Hamburg show, but you know, uh, for Habit of Grace, it was a good show. Um, Lots of stuff I ran into uh, Chris Foley down there. Uh, talked to him about all his stuff he's got going on. I talked to Howard Redding was down there. Talked about his stuff. Uh, kind of muddled around. Uh, was left to my own devices and came home with stuff that I probably shouldn't have been coming home with. But it's too late now. They're mine and I love them. So there you go. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. I saw uh, I saw that video you posted up uh, that uh, you know what what are they again red tail red tail red tail green rat snakes um, red those are what I got at yeah that's what I got at um, have a grace this is something when we went up to nerd Matt and I I was talking to Kevin about like different weird colubrids that he thinks that like he loves that I would like and stuff like that and he literally said red tail green rat snakes he says they are the coolest. They're the chuffiest. They're the easily pissed off. They give you a lot of attitude for such a tiny snake. He goes, they're relatively easy. Um, he's like, they like to climb, but they can kind of manage. He's like, they're awesome. He's like, red tail, green red snakes. So when I went to Habit of Grace, I'm walking around, and uh, they had a they had a few of them in this big acrylic display, and the male that I have was like just eyeing people up and like puffing his neck out because apparently part of their threat display is they just really like to just puff up their necks and make themselves look all huge and evil. So I'm like, I want that one and might as well pull in a girl at the same time. So I ended up walking out with a pair and uh, they've been a really quick obsession. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You're on quite the colubric quick. I know, right? (laughs) That's pretty cool, man. That's cool. Do you ever, I'm sure you watch, uh, uh, what's his name? Dan's at uh, DM Exotics videos and stuff with some of the cool Kluber uh, stuff that he works with. Yeah. Um, uh, the last time I did, I was with you in your house watching it on the television. So no, I'm gonna have to send, <laughs> I'm gonna have to send you a link to uh, some some cool stuff that uh, he's working with. It's pretty it's pretty well, badass. You, are you sure? Otherwise, it's gonna be Morelia Python Radio and, and that guy because it's gonna be like you know. <laughs> I breed carpet. Hey, no one here breeds nothing but collier It's like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's like slippery slope, my friend. 
So. Nothing's wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, so real quick, we got uh, Dave Palumbo, um, and some people may know him. Man, we got bodybuilders tonight galore. We got Nick, and we got Dave. Holy shit, Owen. Oh, we're we're. Uh, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> hey, I don't have to lift any. I don't have to lift anything heavy, right? I'm good, right? <laughs> so yeah. Thank goodness no. it's uh it's uh it's radio, radio. And not video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so oh, now uh, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you may know Dave. Uh, he he uh, is uh, runs Palumbo's Pythons and Bows, and he does a YouTube show called Muscle Serpents University. Um, and this year he is hosting uh, the 2018 Southeast Carpet Fest. So he's going to come on and he's going to give us a few updates. What's going on? Hey Dave, welcome to Morelli Python Radio. How you doing? What's up, guys? Thanks for uh, having me on. Sure thing. No problem. So, so are you, you know excited? What? Terrified? Yeah, you know I am. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the equate. Uh, I'm gonna equate this a little to the bodybuilding world because you know in bodybuilding it's a very small like cultish like type of uh, society. So mm-hmm. you know if you meet the the players, you kind of know everyone. And, and I think the reptile breeding industry is very similar to that. So I always encourage young bodybuilders to go to the big shows like the Arnold Classic and the Mr. Olympia contest because you should, you know, hobnob with all the top people so you get to know everyone. And I think what you're doing with Carpet Fest is kind of comparable to that because you have different regions around the country where you get to actually hang out with like the top breeders. And, you know, a lot of people think it's just for carpets or Morelia, and it's really not. It's really a congregation of people who love snakes and, and reptiles. And I think it's, a, it's an awesome idea. And that's why when Ian called me and said, hey, I can't find no one's wife will let him host it. I said, well, I got a separate building on my property. Said, this is perfect. I, said, I want to meet all these top people in person, not just on, you know, on, on social media. Right. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to have, like I said, and you know, I, I wanted to do something a little different. I know you always have something going on uh, unique at each different, you know, carpet fest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, so I said, you know, I have a, the building we're holding it in, which is my snake building on the bottom floor and the top floor, which is where we'll probably be hanging out is my, you know, species nutrition offices. I own a nutrition company as well. And my RX muscle media, you know, um, studio. And, you know, we do uh, live TV programming in there and all kinds of stuff. And I said, wow, it would be great to put like people's faces and, you know, to the, to the, you know, we hear, I hear you talking about these guys every week and you get them on, but you never really see what anyone looks like. I had, until I saw, um, triple X's, uh, Brian Cusco's interview. I didn't really even know what you guys look like other than a picture. Of you guys. So. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. That's how how we like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. My dad tells me I have a face for radio too, so don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Not alone. But and I still do TV. I don't care. I don't care. Um, if Morton Downey Jr. could do TV, then I yeah. do TV. So yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's a good awesome. point about Carpet Fest is you put you know names to faces. It was originally so you could actually meet people and learn their real names, not just their you know handles on Morelia Python forum. It was like you know all that stuff, which. Even then, I, I'm so, so bad at names. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was the original intention. I'm, well, I'm hoping, you know, now that you got Nick Mutton on today, I, you know, I, I hope he comes because, you know, this way I can show him, he can diagnose all the disasters I have going on in my snake room and tell me what I'm doing <laughs> wrong, which, which would be great. That alone would be worth the price of admission. Oh, me, God. You know, have... when, when I hosted Carpet Fest, Nick came up here and he stayed over 
And he's like, let's check out your room. And I'm like, can we not? It's like, there's, I don't know. <laughs> You're mortified. You had to show him the room. snake exactly. room. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, did I bring that? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right. And he's like going on to different things. Like I was, you know, you feel yeah. weird having all your snake friends go through your room. But then you also feel real good about it after like uh, five seconds you know, of terror, because then you're like, it's a bunch of cool people who are checking out your stuff, and eventually everybody finds something in your room that they love, so yeah, it, it just got to get over that little bump of sheer terror of letting all these people come in and see your collection, so. Right. I'm pretty open yeah. like that, but I'd love, you know, Nick to say, you're doing this wrong, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> no wonder why they wouldn't breathe, you know? Yeah. Don't worry, he Thank won't be you. shy about it either. Oh, yeah. He won't be shy. <laughs> And I could bribe him with like nutritional supplements. I can give him protein tubs of protein powder and stuff like that, and vitamins. He'll he'll really spend a lot of extra time on my. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll be on the inside track for some cool carbon. Yeah, that'll, yeah. that'll do it. <laughs> maybe he can maybe he can get my all pythons to breed. You know. No, uh, oh. you and me both. He does know the <laughs> trick to that. That's for sure. So, um, man, you guys are killing it with t-shirts, right? I mean, you yeah, guys yeah, are, we sold eight hundred dollars uh, worth. Crap, I thought nice. I could get that. Wait, yeah, I know. Yeah, I heard oh, wait, did Owen I ruin that? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know oh, what, though? It's important. Yep. It's important <laughs> to, I think, remember, and I think you have a lot of people who watch, listen to this show, uh, you know, thousands. And right. you know what? Everyone out there, you know, should, should think about, oh, I guess my, my phone talks to me. Everyone out there yeah. should, should really buy a T-shirt. It, it's, you know, it's, it's such a cheap investment. It's such a good cause. The money's going to USR. These are the guys that are sticking up for us, the reptile breeders, and making sure that we can continue doing what we love. You know, it, it, it's a no-brainer, you know. And no one, you give out all this free content. Out, I mean, you do more radio than I do with bodybuilding. I mean, three hours every week you're doing. And you know what, guys listening, go buy a T-shirt. <laughs> on, on the Southeast Harbor, you know, page. You, I'm sure you're going to put up the links uh, on uh, the Morelli Python yep. radio page. Ian's already it, on it. It's, I don't, it's we a no-brainer. Do <laughs> Go spend the 20, what is it, 20 bucks I think we're charging for the yeah. T-shirts? I don't even remember. Yeah. yeah. It's yep. 20 bucks. I mean, think about what you're paying for. It's, I feel like you were doing the old, you know, PBS. You know, I don't know if you guys, this is going to date me. Back in the day, <laughs> they, probably still do. They, do the, they try to raise money for public television, you know, to pay yeah. for all the programs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing yeah. the fundraiser thing. Yeah, whatever right. the hell that is. Yeah, that's you know, guys. There's how many carpet fests now? Five. Uh, five. Yes. Yeah. Five. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You got five carpet fests. That's a hundred bucks. If you each, if you bought a T-shirt for each one, every listener, we have so much money to give away to US Arc. It would be such a feel-good thing, and it's a very small investment, you know, given the fact that most of us spend thousands and thousands and more of us, some of us more than others, on snakes and, and breeding and all the stuff we do. It's a very, very small give back, I think. Absolutely. And you yeah. get a cool shirt, <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you don't this shirt. Yeah. I drove Absolutely. Ian crazy with that shirt because I kept telling him I didn't, like, I didn't like this or I didn't like that, and I know you guys are supporting <laughs> Whoever else is doing the same thing. Probably been changed oh, no, 20 I just... times. I don't listen to Eric. I, I just show him and be like, this is what the shirt looks like this year. And he's like, but I, and I just walk away. So he gets no yeah. say in anything. I just do it. So it's the one thing yeah. I don't control. <laughs> it, feels good. it feels good. I got to be honest. Good. Just let him go off and do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. The only thing I might, I might have to do different next time is I might do a black shirt. Cause I'm, I like, I'm a, like a dark guy. Like I know I like to wear black, black stuff, but uh, the shirt the didn't come out beautiful. 
is you can never please everybody. We have millions of people asking that. Like, we had tons of people going, like, ah, oh, it's another black shirt. And I'm like, all right, fine. I changed the color. They're like, oh, what color is this? I'm like, I hate all of you. So at one point <laughs> last year, I'm like, listen, it's the shirt. It's the color. If you don't want it, don't get it. And then, you know, that yeah. was that. But it, it, it takes some time, and you have to understand you can't please everybody. So yeah. just keep going that. and then learn, and then next year will be different. So. Now, if you can get Nick there, and I'm working on Crutchfield, because Crutchfield, oh. I have an interesting um, connection to Crutchfield. Crutchfield, I guess when he was in, when he did prison time for, you know, the smuggling of the reptiles years and years and years ago, <laughs> there was a period of time right. where he couldn't sell reptiles or keep them. So he was working in a gym in Fort Myers. Now, I'm from New York, but my wife grew up here, and she was working out in the same gym. My wife is actually a professional bodybuilder, too, um, back in the day, and her and Crutchfield worked out at the same gym, but they didn't know each other then. So years mm. later now, she's with me. Um, Crutchfield knows a mutual friend of mine. He's like, oh, I hear Dave Palumbo's in Florida now. Tell him, I'm a big bodybuilding fan. Tell him to come to my place. I'll show him around. So we went down. My wife and I drive down there um, to go see him. And we walk in, and they both look at each other like, what are you doing here? Like, they <laughs> knew each other, but they never thought that they knew each other. And it was a weird, weird connection. So Tom and I are kind of really good friends. So I would love to. I think, you know, he's probably one of the original carpet guys. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Probably. Uh, uh, especially, and I know he's been doing really good with, he's done really great with uh, diamonds and stuff before as well. So, yeah. yeah. Keeps him outside. Yeah. Yeah. I almost Which bought is, a green uh, tree pipe on from him recently. He's selling a, a, an adult female, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah it's a proven female. Beautiful looking snake. I, I don't have any green trees. I was like thinking, oh, maybe this might be a good way to get into breeding them. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm fighting off what I chew. <laughs> I might have to just jump in on this. Yeah. So yeah. we we I've been there. Eric still has green tree pythons. I I got rid of mine, but uh, you know, everybody stumbles into them at one point. I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you guys scared the crap out of me. That's why I haven't bought any. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of this show is just to. Scare yeah. everybody. Yeah. Oh man. Um, That's why I won't go to Ian's uh, house. Ian keeps inviting me over. I'm like, I don't want to go there because then I'm going to wind up buying a green tree pipe. Yes, yes, you will. He will trap you. Like <laughs> Probably that. a pair. That is, yeah, that yeah. green. All contour breeders are really good at the come on over. See, it's yeah. just a little green snake on a stick, and then you have three of them. And you're like, what the hell happened? So yeah, that's yeah. Don't 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 fall for that. No, I'm not going. To. They're sneaky anyway, guys, so, yeah, I, Conjo guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. The one thing I wanted to bring up, I, I know that we really want to get an accurate count of who's going to be here. So you have, if you want to come, and it's open to anyone, you got to go register. I don't know if you guys mentioned this before. You got to register on the uh, on the page, the Southeast Carpet Fest page, and mm-hmm. let us know RSVP that you're going to be coming. This way, we know how much food and drinks and alcohol and all that other fun stuff. Now, are you two guys coming? I hear you're not. I you heard correct. Uh, I I'm don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Oh, you're going to make me look bad, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so yeah. you can't just not go. But all right, um, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. Gotta get out of the cold, the cold northeast. Yeah, no I would kidding. love to, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. So Eric, Eric's up in the air, and uh, I am probably going to uh, not be attending, but. Uh, I do so very upset, and I really kind of wanted to go, but probably not getting the cards. So, okay. All right. Well, okay. we'll keep. What I'm going to do is I'm going to videotape a lot of it anyway, so you guys will Good. watch the video. 
It's like oh, the old awesome. days when I would go to do bodybuilding shows. My dad was lazy and he didn't want to go see him. So he'd be like, I'll buy the tape from you. I said, all right. So he would, he would pay for the uh, video of the show. And we, we would sit down and watch it the following weekend. And I have to explain to him what's going on. <laughs> play by play. He's like, how come your arms don't look like that guy's arms? I'm like, dad, I'm just sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Damn. <laughs> Big support. Nice. <laughs> So, um, I don't know, any other things you want to – so everybody should know it's um, – when is it actually? February – It's February 9th. Right. February 9th, Saturday. That's at 1 p.m. It'll be at my house at uh, 17801 Eagle View Lane in Cape Coral, Florida. And uh, I have a very big, oversized driveway. When you drive in, it's the building on the right. Stay out of the building on the left. That's my house. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, there's plenty of parking in the driveway. It's pretty huge. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what the count is right now. So, um, you know, it could be out of control. Uh, it might be a moderate group of people. But I, I think it's going to be a good group of people in the sense that there's going to be a lot of good ideas exchanged. And, you know, I'm excited to, like, like I said, to meet a lot of these people that I've just – I've talked to a lot of the, the, the Florida people at the, uh, you know, the Repticons and stuff like that that I usually go to um, right. and get myself out. Now, I, just had a, I just had like a kid two years ago, and I just had a new baby uh, three weeks ago. So oh, it's geez. been tough for me to like go to like Tinley Park like I used to and, and go to, even go to Daytona I couldn't go this year. So um, you know, hopefully as my kids get a little older, it will be easier to travel to a couple of these reptile shows because I do like it. It's, it's something, like you said, that's – pretty unique but this is good because this is like a long period of time everyone's in a relaxed environment and uh, i'm sure i'm sure i'm i'm looking to learn because you know i'm not an expert by any means i've only been doing this about four or five years now i i want to pick up you know information from the experienced guys like the nick muttons and and people from crutchfield and i think that that's the advantage if you guys are in the area you want to come down or you want to make a retreat out of this coming to florida in the winter it's a great opportunity to really be able to pick the brain of some of these guys that have been doing this their whole life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if, you know, to, to be able to, uh, you know, sit down and just hang out with guys that, you know, like you said, have been doing this for a long time, like Nick and Tom and, you know, all those kind of guys. And especially if you're into, you know, whatever species that those guys specialize sure. in, you yeah. know, it's, I it's bought priceless. a pair of, um, <laughs> yeah, I bought a yeah. pair of bread life from Nick just recently, uh, a hypo oh, nice. bread line male and a stonewash female. Okay. A couple wow. months. Wow. So I'm, I'm pretty nice. excited about those. You know, obviously they got, I got to grow them up now and, and, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, been trying to buy something from Nick and, and that was like the first thing that kind of caught my fancy because I didn't have any of that. And I thought that that would be kind of cool to start out with. And it's like, you know, one of these projects you put in your, in your bins and you just forget about them. You feed them every week and you know, you forget about it for three years and then you come back to it. You know? Yeah. They're so underrated, man. They're bulletproof. They're, they're awesome snakes. And Nick's pretty much the guy when it comes to bread lies. So, uh, they're awesome. Good choice. I, I, Good choice. Yeah, the hypo bread lie is just a gorgeous snake, and uh, the stone wash is so unusual too that it's just. Um, I think that's an. I think that's really a, an untapped uh, part of, of the Moralia complex. You know that it's it's so exciting that like you know not many people do bread lie, and I think uh, because they're intimidated maybe by it. I don't know. Maybe because they think of, I'm I'm worried because I don't know if I can get the temperatures cold enough when it term, comes time for breeding here in Florida. I'm gonna have to like put like a uh, put them in a special air conditioned room or something like that. Yeah. You might have to, unfortunately. You might have to yeah. put them in the fridge. Yeah. The fridge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nice. 
So uh, I don't know if there's – so, Dave, at one point we're going to have to get you on here so, you know, we can do a whole yeah. show with you and uh, sure. chat with you and find out what you have going on. But uh, yeah, yeah. anything else you want to throw out there before we uh, switch over to Nick? No. I mean, no, if any... people want to contact me, you can contact me. Obviously, we're on the, we have that nice Southeast Carpet Fest page, or you can, you know, contact me at Palumbo's Pythons of Boas, you know, and, you know – I'm open to anything. If you guys have ideas for what you'd like to do, you know, um, I'm also open to that. Like I said, I really think that the thing I can offer, you know, that maybe another other places can is that we can do some real cool video TV interviews. I can have my video guy stay and we can do some, some, you know, one-on-one stuff. People could talk about their stuff. If you, you know, we can put pictures in and stuff like that, uh, you know, right off the internet. It's, I have a pretty nice TV setup that we use for all the bodybuilding programming we do. So that's great because it'll, it'll really document it. And I think, look, people want, you know, this is nostalgic almost, you know, rather than having to say, oh, remember, you know, three years ago when we had Carpet Fest, we can just go back and look at the videos from it and say, holy mm-hmm. mackerel, that was funny. You know? So <laughs> I think if we can maybe make a precedent of start doing that, it's not that hard to set up a video camera. You know, I have a studio, obviously, which makes it easier. But even at any of the Carpet Fest, to set up a little camera you know, with a, with a, a wireless microphone set up and, and just record some interviews there. So for posterity that you, you remember all this stuff, especially when people sure. have a few drinks in them, you get some good yeah. cool stuff to come out. <laughs> oh, that could be bad. Oh, oh, that definitely. Could be bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There's a reason uh, we don't do live interviews anymore from where yeah. places where Owen's been drinking. I mean, that's that, that you do that once. Yeah. No, thank yeah. you. So bad for, you um, might get good deals. But, very funny yeah. for the uh, for the audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's all about the audience. You got to remember that, guys. You have to sacrifice yourselves and your right. and your own uh, <laughs> your own self respect just to get mm-hmm. a couple laughs out of the audience. Right. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, like I said, you got you know, whenever you got whatever updates you want to have, just uh, send it my way, and we're gonna put it in the blog okay. tonight. All of the uh, Southern Southeast Carpet Fest. Uh, you know, links and whatnot. And, uh, like Dave said, uh, make sure you go over to their Facebook page and be f- sure to say if you're coming or not, so they can get an accurate head count and all that. I know how frustrating that can be <laughs> when yeah. you're trying to figure out how many people are coming or not. So, you know, we awesome. don't want to overbuy so, or underbuy. Some mm-hmm. And don't forget guys, Absolutely. buy your t-shirt, buy your t-shirt. I'm going to do that right now. Course. Yep. You know, Ian wanted us to get to a thousand dollars cause we're at 800. I'm like, uh, uh, Ian, we should have we should be making five thousand dollars on T-shirts. We're not keeping the profit; we're giving it away. I mean, everyone out there watching and listening, excuse me, guys, go buy your T-shirt. There's no excuse. Right, get them. Definitely. <laughs> <That's my spiel. laughs> All right, Dave. Um, cool. Thanks for uh, coming on and uh, chatting with us. And uh, have a great show, guys. I'll be listening. Thanks, man. Thanks. All right. See you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Oh, and you still there? Yeah. There. I'm right here. <laughs> All right. So we got Nick on. Um, what? I thought he just – I thought he dropped. There, there. What? Hey, Nick. What? <laughs> why can we never do my show right when Nick's on? It's like, why Why do we keep having difficulties? This isn't our first yeah, time. Not... <laughs> Nick, wait till Owen stops complaining. Stop talking. Right. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Nick. Uh, yeah, if, I, if I wait for that, I'll never get a talk. <laughs> Good point. Oh man! So how you been? Man, uh, good, I guess. <laughs> I say with some hesitation, but uh, yeah, not uh, 
been kind of hitting a rough patch of late, but nothing professionally. But you know, uh, a little bit of life tends to throw you drama periodically. Of course. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm very familiar with those uh, little sections <laughs> of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a been a rough couple months, probably in that personal life regards. But uh, beyond that, uh, everything's good. Well, that's good. Good. So, uh, yeah, we got I've tons been of on stuff here in a long time. Yeah, I know. It's been yeah. weird. Yeah, I've always got a half a million things going on at any one time. So, uh, it's always funny whenever like Nick. 60... You got what? I think I've still got like 60 babies from this year I haven't even photographed yet. There's... <laughs> I can't even. I can't even get them all photographed. It's. Uh, I'm still got trying to get some of them eating. Like there's like, there's like nine, like the last nine out of. 458. I'm down to nine that don't eat. Jesus. Oh, wow. And, but you're coming right up to eggs. Well, like, eggs should be arriving soon anyway, too, now. No, no. You guys, the small collections, you guys, jeez, you guys are, can't wait to cycle stuff and get those eggs. <laughs> I, have, I, I think I probably haven't probably half of my females haven't even seen a male yet. Like, let alone, like, people already getting ovulations. Are you kidding me? Like I, I just got my, I just started getting like a, the first few lockups in the last like 10 days. Like most of these <laughs> haven't even done anything. Like some of these males, they haven't even put pairs together for a lot of this stuff yet. So, oh, it'll wow. be, okay. I, so it's kind of like, a, you know, the bigger the ship is, the bigger ships don't like corner very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> move this entire thing into, and you're always like stalling, trying to get a few more meals and something. One of these years, I'm just going to be so late getting started. I'm just going to lose an entire year, and I'll just be early for the next year. <laughs> That's right. I'm down. I mean, I, it kills me, like you know, from a market perspective, because all the smaller guys like crank that stuff out so quickly that by the time I get anything actually for sale, it's like. Yeah, you know, the early bird gets the worm, so to speak. So, and yeah. I am never going to be the early bird. Um, mm-hmm. Does this? But uh, does, does that have to do with the West Coast? Does the East Coast thing, or is that just that's just how your you cycle your room? That's the rhythm of your room. No, it's just that's you know I. It seemed like for years and years and years, I just kept moving it back not because of any grand design or to make things more efficient or better, but because there's always uh-huh. like something I'm trying to squeeze three more meals in before breeding time to get, you know, put a little more mass on it. And what started, I, I mean, when I was, you know, a very small time hobbyist like Owen. Yes. <laughs> no. hey, I, I it's true. Cycling, I was with a very tiny collection. I would yeah. start cycling the stuff like on the 1st of October and then just little by little like a week at a time and just over a decade it's now like I didn't even start cycling things until December some point in December halfway through December I didn't even put anything together until January uh, <laughs> so my eggs are I'm getting eggs everybody else has got baby eggs are hatching by the time I'm just getting eggs dropping yeah. I, my last eggs didn't hatch until November middle of November Jesus 
Oh, wow. Well, that was a ball python selection. They oh. just are basically non-seasonal breeders. But I've got – I've had Brettles pythons in September. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most but... of the time, you know, in like September, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, October, November before my Brettles pythons, any of them are even ready to sell, uh, typically. So. Wow. Just, yeah, uh, I mean, like yeah. here <clears> – <throat> Here on the Northeast, like I found for me, I didn't, I don't, I used to start, um, like begin Halloween, but mm. with the way that the temperatures are here anymore, it's still like 70 to 80 degrees in like November. So <laughs> I, I moved it to December and now I'm like two months behind what I used to do, but I took last year off. So it kind of, it, it's okay. So. Uh, I don't know. Some years I wish I could afford. I wish I could do that. That would be awesome, just to have a year <laughs> of nothing. It really um, was, man. <laughs> it was a nice like, reset. Clear <laughs> out, like you know, just sell off all the stuff that's been piling up, and just have nothing more to worry about. Like that'd be so nice. I would like this week. I mean, I've got. I don't even know. Probably three hundred twenty seventeens on the shelf, but there's still like. I think I've got like 30 odd 2016s that are still hanging around. Uh, wow. Uh, well, I mean, when you make wow. 400 to Yeah, when you make that many. Year, I mean, yeah. I think 2014 was my biggest year, and it was like 638, which is way too many. I don't have employees yeah. or anything. And that apparently, if I ever wondered where what my breaking point where I almost have a nervous breakdown is, it's 638 babies. <laughs> That's like a, right now the we know. I was just. I was just losing my shit. Like I, oh, I mean, it was just God. all you could do to tread water for a while till I could clear out some babies. So, so I, I intentionally have a lot of snakes, but I don't breed them all. Like this year, I probably only put males with half of the females, just because I could single-handedly saturate the entire market just by me. Yeah. So I, I know right. I just doing that. I couldn't. Where would I put them all? And what would I feed them all? And who would I have to pay to take care of it? It's too much. It's, <laughs> I mean, right. I think I have fifteen. I think I, I have fifteen breeder female Bradley, just Bradley. Fifteen females. I mean, you're it's, you're hard pressed to get less than fifteen to eighteen eggs out of one. That's what my really mm-hmm. you know, most of the time it's twenty. You know, so that's. I mean, I could make three hundred Bradles pythons a year easy. Um, so I just I just only breed them every other year. So I'll breed about six or seven of them. The rest of them will just chill out for their for the year. Should take a break. Yeah. <laughs> even even like even like really good stuff. Like I think I've got an adult female breeder stonewash that I'm probably not even gonna break. I'm just gonna let it because it's like I don't I don't wanna make so many of them that it just like some of these things I'm kind of the one who shapes the market, I guess, on for some of this mm-hmm. stuff. So if I just make a million of them then I can single handedly like tank something that I've worked so hard to build up. It's like, so I have to like limit my own production just to keep supply a little bit more limited. It's, you know, if I made 60 of them in a year, they'd be a hundred bucks, you know, or 200 bucks. It's like, you can't, there's only so much demand for things at the higher end. And if you way overshoot the mark, you end up bringing the prices down prematurely. And that's bad for everybody for your own right. self in the long term. It's also bad for everybody else. that's kind of bought into whatever project. So, I've done pretty well with that stuff. Last I checked, typo rentals were still expensive, and this is year six, so that's uh, that's pretty good. Still, yeah, but, that is good. Yeah, but I mean, 
Yeah, and they come down 25% in six years. Like, compare that to any morph of anything ever, and that's way back. But yeah. I, you know, I could have bred hypo, hypo male to, I have, I've, I've always had, for, I've had 15 or so female brittles for a decade or more. That's about uh-huh. how many I just always have. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have only one time ever of well, then this year, the second, this is like the second year I've ever bred a hypo to anything that wasn't a hypo. I have never bred a hypo to all these normal females and just mass produced some sort of half hypo stuff and watered it down. I, I certainly could have, I, I might've been, I mean, but I, to keep it strong, I just completely resisted the temptation to do that. I, I ran a hypo to a striped female in 2014. I kept half the babies. I sent half of them to Europe to keep them out of the U.S. so I didn't have to feed them. <laughs> you know, and then I and and the, and the seven I've got three point four and they're all ready to go this year. I might, I probably won't even breed all of them. I need to prove out the hypo thing and make hypo stripes. But if I breed all of them, it'll be too many. So I'll probably just breed the best two pair or something and let the rest sit. Um, but yeah, and then this year I made hypo pet stripes again to sell to the public finally. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've not watered it down. I've not. I've, I've been. I'm sure everybody else has got them. Is going to like breed them to everything under the sun. But like, I can't be the guy who does that. I guess. Gotta, well, yeah. I mean, I imagine <laughs> they're they're not gonna they're not gonna hang on to it. It's not their job to. They got them. They got them no, too close together. Yeah. And I know that for a fact that there's at least four people trying to breed hypo brettles males for me the gamma jags of all things which of what course what the hell i just <laughs> i just die a little and just make me die a little inside every time i hear that it's, uh, but and, why and do, like, that's right you know, choking on my own vomit uh, these are guys i like they're nice guys they're just like they're that's just their deal i mean and i knew i always knew that was going to happen as soon as those first males got up to size it was going to happen. I mean, like I said, if all people I personally know and like, but it's like, God, you're killing me with this. <laughs> but, but it's inevitable too. You can't fight it. It's, it just is what it is. Um, so, uh, yeah. what do you guys want to talk are, about? Yeah. You know, I want to talk about of, like all sorts of potential. Okay. What do you want? Yeah. What I mean, well, like I, you, I'm the out of myself and Eric. He's IJs, and I like coastals. Even though, like, I don't have any of the lo- coastal localities and all that other stuff. So I, but coastals are I, better. Thank you. <laughs> Putting that out there. <laughs> um, hey, I've I, got, I think I've got. I think I've got like 13 or 14 adult IJs also, and you know, in there, I, mean, I have a lot of that stuff. But coastals, I can't even. It's, I have coastals beyond all count or measure. I can't even tell you. I don't even know how many. Uh, I think I've got like six adult exantics. I mean, just I mean, just visual exantics. Not counting head. Not counting caramel head adults. Not counting, you know, locality animals. I, I don't even know. I I would have to literally go out there and visibly count them. It's not many. They're just so gotcha. variable that there's no end to the variation. So there, you can just have you could have fifty of them and they'd all look totally different. Which I love. That's, absolutely. Uh, on the car, on the hypo stuff, I mean, it's yep. one more new thing that we can uh, mess around with and incorporate into, you know, it's, to me, it's, I mean, since I will not hybridize anything and I'm such a fanatic, it, it does limit. I mean, I, 
and I like the look of a lot of this mutt stuff. I mean, I've, I've always thought caramel zebras were cool and zebra jags were cool. Mm-hmm. I like the look of a lot of that. It's not an aesthetic. I totally get why someone would want to make that because you can make some pretty sexy critters, but I just, for my own reason, just will not go there. So right. that limits me in my carpet morph potential combination, you know, mad scientist sort of playing around. And now I got the hypos. It's like, well, I, there's one more thing I can – I actually can make some pretty – more heavy stuff and still not cross that line. No, I mean, I could conceivably make a super hypo, super caramel tiger jag with exam or some such nonsense. <laughs> Just something. What I already yeah. have. I mean, it'd take me a decade probably to get there. But, uh, sometimes with things like that, you don't, even if you hit it, you don't know if you made it. It's almost too hard to tell. <laughs> Well, if you put it up, I've made ball python clutches where I, I've made ball python clutches on a couple of occasions where I couldn't identify a single baby with confidence. They're all it's just too much. There's too many things. I've got a, I'm expecting a ball clutch. I think I'm gonna get a clutch this year and there's what is it? It's seven different, entirely different genes that could all be present at one time. Some of them are kinda of, have some similarities. Like I'm never gonna know what I'm looking at. I'll be able to say, well it's at least it's at least these two plus some other stuff, but I don't know what the other stuff is. It's, <laughs> of course, ball pythons are basically, you know, trading cards at this point and free. So it's like the seven-gene snake is like $120 as opposed to the six-gene snake that's $90. It doesn't even what matter. What the hell? Routinely, routinely give genes away for free on that one. I just Ugh. I just mess with them because it amuses me. And it's, since I can't be go cr- more crazy with carpets, but I can with ball pythons, so I, it's just purely for my own entertainment, I guess. So but I have some pretty interesting ones. I mean, um, that's cool. But with the yeah. hypos, like, have you kind of like looked at them as opposed to like this? Because you're you've worked with caramel stuff for ever and a day, and you've got really good super caramels. Have you kind of like looked at them right next to the hypos and kind of been like? Is there some overlap? Is there clearly one is way better? Clearly one is looks different or it is, they are not the same thing. And this is okay. one of those, I mean, it takes some explaining and some science, I suppose. But uh, uh, I was wrong. I was, you know, I've Paul's been working with these things for forever. I mean, it's, it mm-hmm. takes a while to get a project to fruition to prove that it's inherited. It's that it's an actual gene and not just some sort of random nonsense. Um, that it's something distinct and not something, you know, that it's not a caramel, that it's not a red coastal, that it is its own thing. That takes time and generations of breeding and specific pairings to, you know, test breeding and this kind of stuff to sort it out before you finally can say, this is something else. And right. it's, you know, and say that you can't really sell anything. It's unwise in my estimation. So I've got him to hold on. Don't sell anything that we know what the heck this is. I mean, because if you come out of the gate with something you think is something new and it turns out you're wrong, you can't really roll that back. You're kind of look pretty foolish and you yeah. sold things. you got to know what you're selling and understand it as best you can. Uh, so this, you know, I worked with him on this for a while, kind of suggesting pairings to kind of test things and all of that and how to, you, know, you have to isolate it and you have to, uh, you know, and see if, if it's related to or allelic with anything else and, I was complete. I'll admit, I was completely wrong. I I had this like beautiful theory of everything that just made perfect sense in Nick Land, and I was utterly convinced of it. And I was not right. I had spent the whole farm on it, and I was wrong. And I, 
I'm not a modest person as far as snakes go anyway. I know what I'm talking about, and I was just convinced, and I, I, I have to admit I was completely wrong. I, uh, I was convinced that the hypo is not the same thing as a carnival. That, I can tell that by just looking at them. Okay. But I, would have, I, I, I really thought that they would be a lemmic because they're not entirely dissimilar either. Uh, and there's so many examples of allelic gene complexes and other things. If you're, anybody who follows ball pythons will know that a, a Mojave ball python and a lesser ball are basically the same thing on one level, but they're not the same thing. They are different versions of the same thing. One is more potent and more strong in its phenotype than the other, but they're compatible allelic mutations. They're different in heterozygous form, but you can still mix and match and get what's called a heteroallelic super or homozygous. Uh, I was convinced it was going to be that. Okay. And it's not that. Okay. And a mountain of breeding data. To, and it's not like a close call. It's like, I, you know, if my theory is true, if you've read a caramel to a hypo, you would get a super that was intermediate between super hypo and super caramel. And they would be a lelic different with hypo being the stronger, but not, uh, but not this, but, you know, but still compatible. They're not okay. compatible. That is absolutely, and that shuts that whole theory down real quick. Um, Paul bred uh, hypo male to a super, a proven super caramel female. Okay. Uh, all the babies are caramel, and half of them are also hypo. The hypo caramel mixes that got bulky looked more extreme than a super caramel, or at okay. least as extreme as the best super caramel I've produced. If they were allelic mutations, uh, and had to raise them for a little while to figure out, because, you know, eventually the ones that are just caramels became obviously just caramels, the ones that were hypo and caramel were, you know, you can't really pull them apart as babies. You can suspect, but it's, you know, give it some time and they'll diverge. Um, he bred those, the male hypo caramels out to other things. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that he did multiple pairings with animals that could not throw red bait. And he's got some pure coastal stuff that are that do not throw red babies. There are no red babies. There's no red babies in their ancestors. You eliminate the possibility of a red coastal popping out because that would screw you all up because that's you're looking for red babies. Uh, when you do that, uh, the presence of any non-red babies, because the hypos are red babies, the caramels are red babies, the combo hypo caramels are red, they're all red babies, right. of course. Uh, so if you make, if you breed an animal that you know to be a hypo caramel to a normal, you should get if they're allelic, you will get half caramels, half hypos, no normals, and no hypo caramels. You'll get half one, half the other, no normals and no combos. Um, if they're non-allelic, you'll get hypos, caramels, hypo caramels, and normals. And in all five clutches, there were normals. You don't even have to worry about trying to figure out which ones are the hypo caramels and which are hypo, which are caramel. The presence of a, even a single non-caramel or hypo or a non-red baby proves they're not allelic. And there were non-red babies in each and every single clutch in about exactly the ratio, about 25%, uh, you would expect. There was a sixth clutch that could have produced, but it did, that didn't produce any non-red babies, but there was only like six babies in the clutch, some duds and everything. Like, and it's right. that you'd expect, you know, one in four, so that's pretty easy to miss a one in four, and you only get six eggs. 
that make it. So the other five all had roughly 25% completely normal. And even when Paul told me there was normals, I still call bullshit. I was that in love with my theory. <laughs> I made him send me pictures. Because, you know, Paul, he didn't tell me about this, but he's a little bit colorblind. And so he doesn't see color the way we see color. So his interpretation of what's red is probably not the same as ours. So I made him send me pictures. No, they were, it wasn't even a close call. And they were just stone cold normal. No, not even a hint of there's just, maybe it's a shitty car, nothing. They were normal. Uh, and I had to just kind of, you know, put my old theory to bed. They're not compatible. But, uh, that opens, I, you know, ideally, I think that's probably the better scenario. It was kind of a mm-hmm. single one, half dozen in the other. If they were a letlick, then you could breed a hypo to a, anything caramel, and then you'd instantly make some pretty crazy stuff to plug right into what you already had. Uh, right. The downside of that is that, uh, you know, it would burn through a market cycle much quicker uh, because there'd be a whole million half caramel things that would be kind of hard, might be hard to identify, and there'd be a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. and you didn't have ultimately as many options, but you'd be able to get into the game and make cool things faster. Uh, them not being compatible and not a lot, like, you know, that leaves more possibilities uh, down the line and for a longer sort of market cycle and more stability, which is it's the better uh, of the two in my estimation uh, because now you, since they're not, they're not a, a, they're not compatible or like that means you can stack them on top of each other and you should be able to you will be able to make a super hypo super caramel all at the same time um, which I mean might be kind of hard to figure out I suspect but it would be you know clearly look like some sort of T positive albino or something with no dark pigment. Um, Paul's yeah. not managed to make a super hypo as yet. Uh, just because he only has one female that's up to size, and the one clutch he got, there's like four. Like he got a crap clutch, like only a handful of babies, and there was nothing immediately that jumped out as a, an obvious super, so he likely missed it. Uh, but okay. these things happen. Uh, you can pretty much bank that there is one, because there always is. There's not a single example of a truly dominant gene in any boa or python or anything. Name one in all the morphs. I don't care if you're talking about boas, re-kicks, you know, carpets, whatever. Na- tell me one, even just one, actually dominant morph. There aren't any. They're always incomplete dominant. Uh, you can have you have some where the homozygous form is so is not that similar or can be hard to identify. There's a bunch of those where it's you know it's a little convoluted, but it exists. Um, it always exists. Uh, in ball pythons, there's a few that people claim are dominant, but what they really are is lethal, like super jags are lethal. There's no right. You don't say that jaguar carpets are dominant because the super dies, but ball python <laughs> people are in you know a state of constant denial about things. That you know, well, pinstripes is a dominant gene and spiders dominant. It's like no, it's not. Spiders a lethal gene and the super is a dead is a super jaguar basically. It's the same thing, and people just been concealing that for profit for years and years and years. And it surprises me how many people won't admit that even now when they're worth nothing. You know, right. if you have a ball python and it has spider in it, a lot of times it's worth less if you add that gene. It actually brings the value down. It's, that people just don't even want it. Um, if, but they'll still, you know, if you say there's a, mention that the super spider is a lethal white snake, there's a whole bunch of people that'll crawl out of the woodwork on social media to tell you you're an idiot. I know because <laughs> I've done it. 
I've even shown him. Here's a picture of one, a dead super spider. Nope. Can't. It's like, put the blinders on. But you did it that one year. never lie about that. Didn't you have all those different combos of, like, lethal, like, you were like, this one technically is like a super caramel, like, jag. And then this one here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had them all laid out. It was like... I made uh, three Exampic Super Jags and uh, I think two Super Caramel Super Jags uh, in the same year. You can't read it out. (laughs) It's not going to happen. No, no. They're, they're, you know, Blue Tongue Skin Food, really. But um, it was just, well, it was Exampic Jag to Exampic Jag. Why? Because my only breeder male Exampic was also a Jag. I didn't have an Exampic male because the first year I just didn't hatch a male Exampic that wasn't a Jag. I didn't have one. So the only way to right. breed Exampic Exampic is to breed Jag. Same with Super Caramels. For some reason, I just like this ridiculous run of Super Caramels all being girls. And Super Caramels, just, the only male that I had that proved out to be a Super was a Jag. So I bred Super Caramel Jags to each other a couple of times. Uh, yeah. And thus, every baby's a Super Caramel, but the, and some are white and don't like it. Uh, for, you know, what's the longevity record? Ten minutes? You know? Uh, yeah, if that, uh, I think right. I forget what it there, is. Thereabouts, yeah, I've had a few make it, you know, 15, 20 mm. minutes, you know, realistically. Uh, they look dead from the get-go, but if you look, their heart is still beating. Uh, Gross. But, <laughs> eh, I'm kind of over it. I mean, I, I, I needed, I did not want to, with the Super Caramels and being like the only guy who ever, other than Paul, who ever bothered to prove a Super out first uh, by test breeding it to a normal and proving mm-hmm. it's a super, I've, I've test bred eight super caramels. And, you know, a couple didn't prove out. Like, I had two normal, I mean, super caramels that weren't jags that didn't prove out. And if yeah. you looked at them, you would swear they were super caramels. You would, there's no way you, you would just, you wouldn't, you couldn't accept that they weren't, but they weren't. And when I, one of them, a male, is the best super male I'd ever produced. Turned out he wasn't a super I bred him, I got, it was like a small clutch, like 11 eggs. It was two caramels and nine normals. Oh, so he um, hit you over the head with it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was resoundingly not a super. But if you look at it, it was amazing. So every once in a while, you get those that are just like the extreme end of the heterozygous overlaps with the, with the low end of homozygous. Uh, so you got to be careful about that stuff. Now I've got a bunch of them I just that I've proven out independently, and I just read proven supers to proven supers, and I don't have to prove anything. They're all just guaranteed supers. Yeah. Uh, and I just make all clutch stuff, which is nice. Cause I, and I can guarantee it in writing, this is a super. I don't have to ever go backwards and do that. Well, I'll have to because I've made Exantic Caramels last year, so eventually I'll breed Exantic Caramel to Exantic Caramel in another year and a half, and I'll... I'll make all Xanthics, and most of them are caramels, and there'll be some super caramels in there, and there'll be Xanthic super caramels, but I'll have to start over and prove those out by breeding to a normal, (laughs) just to be sure. But eventually, give me about eight years, and I'll be breeding proven super caramel Xanthic to proven super caramel Xanthic, and I'll make whole clutches of Xanthic super caramels, but I'll be able to guarantee as such. And then you get to start the entire process all over again as you try to mix hypo in with uh, oh, no, and stuff like that. So don't it's never ending. Yeah. <laughs> don't even remind me of that. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's next season. Don't even remind me. So you might think about it. <laughs> and then we have to figure that's out the just... difference between the caramel exanics and the hypo exanics. Yeah. 
It'll be all yeah, over. It'll yeah. be fun. It'll be a fun ten years from now. I almost, <laughs> I almost don't want to do it. I almost part of me just wants to just not even go down that road. I mean, everybody else will do it. Eric will do it. I don't need to do it. I have to think to myself: Do I need to do everything? Maybe I'll just leave that one for you guys, and you guys can get after it or something. I, I have so yeah. many projects. I. I it gets I overwhelming. Just not do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you're, you're telling me, man. I, yeah, I'll be all up in the hypo thing next season. But uh, no. so, real quick, you brought up Exanic uh, carpets. Um, we did get a question, so we're getting these questions pop in. But is it still out uh, for debate on the genetics of the Exanic carpet? Yeah. Only if you lack forward-facing eyes and binocular vision. <laughs> They're, uh... Huh. Honest, this sounds like I'm being a... I'm going to be honest. This sounds like I'm being a dick, kind of, and maybe I am. I don't know. It wouldn't be the first time, probably. But uh, this is a ridiculous thing that this is still a debate. The people are still arguing this. It is okay. as plain as the nose in your face. If you don't see it, it's because you just don't want to see it. It's because right. we get ideas in our head and we fall in love with those ideas and we're very attached to those ideas. And sometimes those ideas are wrong. And when they're wrong, you need to change your ideas or change your position in face of evidence. Exantic is always, well, for one, Exantic is, is hugely frustrating to me because okay. nobody seems to get it or want to get it. It's like everything they believe about Exantic is wrong and you can't tell them otherwise. For one, they're not Exantic. There you go. They're hypo Exantic. Right. You ever seen a snow carpet? It's not white at all yeah. when it gets older, is it? It's not even close to white. No. It's got yellow all over it. Why mm-hmm. is it yellow all over it if you can't make yellow pigment? The answer is because it can make yellow pigment. You've got the process of making up the yellow is complicated, but it just knocks it way back. It, say, removes 80% of the yellow pigment in its homozygous state. That's not 100%. Now, if you have a normal right. coastal that still has melanin in it, you when you were not to take it back 80%, that 20% that's left in an animal that didn't start with a whole lot to begin with is so low that it looks exantic. Mm. Now, when you strip away all the melanin, what you're doing is in an albino, i.e. a snow, you've done two things. You have made a hybrid snake that has a bunch of Darwin blood in it. And what does Darwin have? A shitload more yellow than a coastal, doesn't it? So yes. you've added, you've taken, a, if you had a baseline of like 10 parts per hundred of yellow pigment, and then you knock it back by 80% in a pure coastal, you've got an animal that only has two parts per hundred of yellow pigment, and it looks like it doesn't have any for all practical as a purposes. If you hybridize said coastal with 10 parts red pigment, 10% red pigment, with an animal like a Darwin that has, say, we'll just, I'm just making numbers up, that has, has, say, it has 50% yellow pigment by mm-hmm. volume, you've made a hybrid that's got something like 30% red yellow pigment. When you knock that back 80%, the remainder that's left over in your hybrid is way higher, is higher than it would have been in a normal coastal carpet. You've just undone, you've like taken, it's like you've taken two steps forward and seven steps backward. And thus you end up, because the mutation doesn't knock it all out, you, you, it doesn't make any sense. You've increased the amount of yellow pigment and then reduced the amount of yellow pigment. But you've increased it more then you ultimately reduce it. It's just, it's that, as compared to like a normal pure coastal. So you end up with a right. snow that looks like shit. Frankly, it looks mm. like it's got a bunch. It looks like a washout. It's 
a faded yellow albino. Uh, and that's not for, you know, not what everybody thought. They thought, oh, it would be a, a white snake. And it's like, but really that's the way of things because there are no, you ever seen a, a, a pure white snow, any snake? A snow boa, a snow corn? No. Why? No. Because it's always, because they're all like this, they're all the same. They're all hypoexanthic. None of them are fully exanthic. That's just the way it is. So starting okay. off, exanthic actually means hypoexanthic. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about anery boas, because anery boas are, you guessed it, exanthic. They're not actually anery. Now, I don't even tell that to the boa people because they'll all try to lynch me or something. <laughs> Why is everything they're wrong? misinterpreting that. <laughs> it's so, it's like, and it's like, you, and the frustrating part is when you tell them, like, uh, or anybody or any group of people, it's like you get, when confronted with, like, oh, here's a rational, coherent, science-based explanation of what you're seeing, and over here is you know, unicorns and pixie dust, they will always go with the unicorns and pixie dust over the science <laughs> because science isn't sexy. It's like, <laughs> how many times have you like within the, how many times in the morph world and the morph sector of any of our markets and, you know, of the reptile world, have you ever, how many times have you seen like the, the reference to like a mystery gene or a hidden gene? It's like, there's no such thing as a hidden gene. Never has been, right. never will be. That's utter nonsense. <laughs> But you see it all the time. I think it must have a hidden gene. It's like you don't have a hidden gene. You have a figment of your freaking imagination. <laughs> it's like, but if you explain that to people, they just don't. You know, they, they they just. Oh my god, they, this just happened again with some carpet stuff. I got really frustrated. I just quit posting on the thread. And I was okay. Believe whatever you want, guys. Whatever. That sounds awesome. Uh, it's like it's like I. I don't know what's going on. It's, 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 it's a mystery. It's like I literally messaged these guys and told them exactly what was going on. Here is exactly what is happening. And it's like <laughs> mystery no solved. Oh, it's not even a hard mystery to solve. Nope. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it kills me. And the problem is Sometimes. once you're brain, you can't get out of it. Like, what is it? No, People are no, referring to, like, what? Can't. Red hypo jags or something like that. That was when I first started. Oh my God. There's nothing red nor hypo about the jag. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I bought yeah. a couple, but I'm like, oh. <laughs> so. Oh, you've already, and it's already starting now that there's real and actual hypo gene. The old Jan Eric Engel nonsense red hypo whatever is like coming back out of the woodwork. There's already at least one guy <laughs> in Europe. Oh, look at my. Every time Paul puts a picture of a hypo, oh, look at my hypo. It's like, that's not, that's not a hypo. <laughs> It's just a freaking red coastal, and it's not even a pure red coastal. It's like some mixed blood animal that has some red coastal blood in it. It's, oh my god, it's, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's madness. It's, it's funny how like you know people that maybe they you know maybe they hatched a couple clutches, you know, they're all of a sudden an expert. Whereas people that have hatched, you know, thousands. <laughs> they know nothing. Somehow, nothing at well, all. Yeah. Well, no. What would we know? <laughs> I mean, you know, the, I don't know. In the age of social media and screwing things up worse, things are so much better and clearer when the Aussies stayed in their little forums and we stayed in our forums and the Europeans stayed the hell in their own forums. This Facebook thing where it mashes us all together just fucks things up because it leads to people making wildly incorrect and completely ignorant assumptions. They, 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 right. they believe that everything is everywhere. Case in point, right. there's a guy, and I won't mention his name, but I know you know who I'm talking about. 
who has utterly convinced himself that his random mystery muck carpet is a gelatin locality-specific jungle carpet. What? They're going to do some random, <laughs> random unknown snake off of the Internet in the United States years ago. Must be a pure locality jungle carpet of the rarest thing you could possibly imagine. And he has since, of course, spread it to, you guess it, a jag, and he keeps selling gelatin jags. It's like, which, of mm. course, is just unfathomably, it's just the biggest steaming pile of horse shit I ever saw. But wow. he's doing it. And I, keep, I call this guy out publicly, like, every time I see it, and he just keeps doing it. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's, it's like, why would I you? I missed that one. It's like they jumped to <laughs> Yeah, the, I didn't hear about this they one. They jumped this to, good. you know, you would know who I'm talking about, too. Well, that's it's unfortunate. Like they jumped to the absolutely, it's like, what's the least likely explanation for what I've seen? The absolutely least likely thing, that's what they go to. Yeah. I saw a picture of a snake on Facebook that oh they thought God. looked similar to theirs. Ergo, that must be what they're just. It's mad. Yeah, no, and it just, it's, it's getting worse. I got an Owen Pelly Python off Craigslist last week. I, I wasn't going to tell anybody <laughs> until now. But, you know, Son I nabbed that thing. It was great. I, it just happened, dude. You know, the crazy to... thing is that that's really not any more ridiculous. Because <laughs> no, that's, exactly yeah. what this, that's exactly what. That is exactly what happened in this case. Oh, I got this random carbon up Craigslist or whatever. It must be a gelatin jungle. Oh, You've got to be kidding me. Sounds legit, right? I mean, <laughs> and it wasn't like sold as that. He just like decided based on how it looked that that must be what it is. Never mind. Nobody has those, and that's not a thing. If we're just <laughs> like, like, facts and logic, be damn, this is gelatin. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, that's <laughs> no wonder. It's not no wonder time. I've been off on Facebook for so, yeah. so much. It's not good. <laughs> Yikes! Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a new new time low. So. <laughs> we need we need to all migrate back to MP. Yeah, <laughs> back to MP with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, there's a. There's somebody in the United, Southern United States that got a, a $40 or $50 random children's python at some show from a wholesaler, but they are convinced when they keep posting pictures of their T-plus albino children's python. Yeah, but because oh, hey, they be bought it from the internet. Ergo they, ergo, they must be randomly for 50 bucks off of flippers, tables, and shows. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's my t like, clearly it's not, but it's, you know, <laughs> and they'll sell the babies or that. I mean. But you have – can't you go up to T-positive albinos that you see in Australia and be like, this is what this is. It's not what you have. I mean but – you're, But you're dealing in the rational world of facts. I know. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Truth and not – and, you know, again, we're talking about unicorns here. That's really where <laughs> it's, it's, it's the power – people want to believe things, and they convince themselves of things that are just patently untrue because they want to believe it. I mean, I would love Jesus. to. I would love to go to a show and get a T plus children's for forty dollars. Up buy, up buy them all. Actually, if they, you know, at that price, I'd, I'd buy them all up if it was a thing. But it's not a thing. It's yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's just going to keep getting worse. I am going off on my like old man rants, like all these young kids today. I'm like, get off my lawn. I love old man of perfect culture. Uh, I love it. I'm in that same age group, oh man. <laughs> so I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't I mean, be. It's not that, 
It's not that hard. Here I go off my usual tangent about grumpy old man stuff. We're talking about examples. So, yeah, no, it's not debatable at all. It, it's just not. And anybody who wants to debate it is wrong. I'm just going to say it. They're wrong. It's an incomplete dominant. It's freaking obviously an incomplete dominant. You know what else is an incomplete dominant? Example ball pythons. They're incomplete dominant. You can't tell those people that either. Oh, no, it's recessive. Uh, no, it's not. It's like, you ever look closely at the hex, you see a partial reduction in yellow pigments in the heterozygous form and a huge reduction in yellow pigment in the homozygous form. In the okay. hex coastals, you know, in the hex coastals, it knocks it back maybe 30%, but it's noticeable, mm-hmm. real noticeable. And in the homozygous animals, maybe 80%. You know, some of the, it is hard, you know, it's hard, it's hard to tell the examples from the hex. They're so similar in those clutches. When I started out, because I couldn't get, the original examples were really inbred and were really problematic. They had two annoying habits, not breeding and dropping dead, which are not, you know, so I, I could have bought, you know, the first visual in the country, but I wasn't paying that kind of coin for something with a, that bad of a track record. So uh, early on, Paul managed to get one of the original super old school inbred male examples straight from the source, and it, uh, he got a few clutches out of it, and he bred it to pure coastals, uh, two uh, females that were unrelated to each other and both unrelated to the male, but yet to the coastal cell. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I got a pair of hets from each clutch, and I bred them opposite each other to make my own exantics from diverse hets. So my original exantics that I made myself were all 50% outcrossed, and that 50% itself came from two different unrelated lines. So my original exantics were... You know, have, are still they're all still alive. They're all still breeding. That that my male example, Jay, that I bred five females in the first season at 18 months old, like a champion, and is still alive and breeding right now. Um, so a little bit of new blood uh, didn't hurt anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But in those early clutches, those first two years, until I made an exantic male and got him to size, I had two seasons in which I was breeding het to het. So you're making possible hats and visuals. And so you're making all three things because there's no such thing as a possible hat. That's the fallacy. It's like an animal is a hat or it's not a hat. You may or may not have the luxury of being able to tell, but it's a hat right. or it's not. So you're right. making hats, you're making normals, and you're making examples all in the same clutch. And the normals are super easy to pick out. The hard part is telling the examples from the hats. Telling the hats from the normals is easy. The normals stick out because they have it's that obvious. Um, Oftentimes, the hets are so similar to the visuals right out of the egg that the easiest way you're going to really look for is eye color. The examples of that pale blue eye, and the hets won't. But if it wasn't for the eye color, you wouldn't be able to tell apart. As okay. they get older, they'll diverge. You know, the mm-hmm. example adults look different than the het adults, but it's, it's that obvious. And anybody that thinks it's not, you know, uh, if you make – I've got, a, I've got uh, five adults caramel and caramel jags that are het, for example, and they're all adults, and they don't color up like a normal caramel or caramel jag either, as you would expect, because you've reduced that yellow pigment back by 30-odd percent, uh, or whatever the number is. It's, it's suppressing that. So they don't, they progress through their color change a little differently. Okay. Uh, with that lower gotcha. level yellow pigment. So it's, it's really obvious. Uh, anybody else, is, they're just, you know, uh, at this point, I quit talking about it publicly just because I got tired of people that have never produced any examples telling me how it is when I've made, I don't know who's made more than me at this point. I mean, I've got, I think I've got 50 of them sitting in my snake room right now in my baby room. It's ridiculous. I 
I can make as many as I want, and I've made I've made every combination of everything in terms of you know hats and possible hats and visual to visual, and it's I am telling you, it is in pure coastal, it is abundantly clear. I never sold any possible hats as definitely hats, but I it was so obvious the first year I bred them and made possible hats that I sold the ones that I knew good and well were going to prove out as possible hats mm-hmm. uh, for the price of a possible hat, even though I knew it was going to prove out. And I sold the not the ones that I knew full well weren't. I still had them labeled as possible hats, but I literally wrote on my website, I don't think these are going to, this is going to prove out, and it was like 90 bucks, you know, the same price mm-hmm. as a normal coastal. That's what it was. And it was obviously what it's not going to prove out. And you want to be a total crook and, like, sell all these things as if they all had an equal chance of being hats when it was really clear which ones, you know, which ones were likely to prove out and which ones were not. Uh, I have raised up possible hats. And guess which ones prove out? The ones that look exantic and the ones that don't, don't prove out. So, yeah, yeah it's I really to, easy. I have to remember to annoy you. I have a, a, a couple of... Uh, Caramel uh, bread. I, I proved out my my one super to an exanic, so I have to annoy you because I've held back all the babies because I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so you read um, a you read a was that the exanic you got for me? Yeah. Long time ago, you bred to a super and you got yeah, made a whole clutch of every baby the caramel had exanic. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to answer your question, yes. <laughs> so, I got them, and I've been holding on to them. <laughs> so. The exotic caramels are really good looking. I was really they are. happy with I like them. With so. mine. I'll I probably may hang on to them for a little bit. There seems to be a fair amount of variation. I made two clutches of them. And mm-hmm. one clutch, there were three, and they were super obvious before they came out of the eggs. Like, well, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. And the other clutch, there were none that were obvious. But there's like four that I'm pretty confident are, but they don't. The two exactly mothers look very different. They're kind of mm-hmm. opposite ends of the spectrum. And the less interesting female made super obvious babies. And the really more extreme looking female made exantic caramels that I won't sell as exantic caramels because I would need to prove them out. Like, I'm just sitting on these things. Like, I'm pretty sh- They've got to be because there were 17 babies. I can't imagine mm-hmm. a whiff on a, on a one in four with 17 tries. And there are some exantics that are weird looking, but they don't look like the ones in the other clutch. So I literally sold the female. My biggest exantic female laid one clutch. I just sold her. It's like, well, the babies are not going to do me any good. I don't like to be And I kept the... I kept the other one. Jeez. Right. Yeah, I got a I got a few exanics kicking around over here. I'm mixing with a bunch of stuff, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, this I mean, imagine like a really nice exantic super caramel tiger. Yes. You know, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I finally have caramel, striped caramels that have good color. It took a long, way longer than I would have thought, like yeah. generations longer than I thought. But I have some that are, wow, that actually is just like what I thought, but it's taken me an unfathomable amount of work. I'm going to lose my mind. First time I finally offer some really nice quality striped caramels and someone's going to want to give me, like, hardly any money, and I'm just going to, like, keep them all and refuse to sell them. It's like, it's like, <laughs> I have literally made probably 180 striped caramels. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last 
eight years. I started trying to make striped caramels the very first year that I bred caramels. Like, it's been the whole time. And you just make them, and they don't color up right. There's something about right. that. It's like it does not cooperate. But it is possible with perseverance. And I, I finally, I've got, uh, and there are ones there. They're actually 75% Lenke blood from Michael Pennell. They're, like, mostly Lenke blood with just a little bit of the European blood striped. Uh, but they started coloring up like I wanted to, so it took a long time. But nice. I'm getting there. And then, and I've got a striped exanthic project, but I don't have a striped exanthic caramel project. It's like I've got That's a the next step. <laughs> yeah, except for now the hypo thing's just gonna. Uh, now I've got to breed exanthic females, the hypo male. <laughs> if the thing will breed. Yeah. Oh God damn all it! Over. And I've got to when breed striped females. The I got to breed striped females to hypo males. Hypos. Yeah. <laughs> well, I only have a couple of I only have a couple of striped girls. One is Hector Well, it's a pot head exantic, but wink, wink, went nudge, nudge. I have a feeling <laughs> she's going to prove out. <laughs> like, it's a it's a sixty six percent pot head, but it's clearly going to prove out. It's striped from stem to stern. But uh, so so when do we start not. to change? Like like. Uh... When do we start to change the terms when we like, why is that such a hard thing to do? I mean, I kind of know why it is a hard thing to do, but like you would think as like that science, you'd start to learn more and more from breeding and just experiences. And, you know, you have more data, uh, genetics and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like why? why? It's part of it's just human nature. I mean, here I'll Mm. give you a, this is how big of a nerd I am. This is going to go back literally 140, 130 years. Um, uh, early on in the late 19th century, when they were starting to really figure out what dinosaurs were and starting to classify that, there was a big kind of, there was a big thing in the 1880s working on dinosaur uh, taxonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made a misnomer. They got the names backwards. Uh, you see, you have like sauropods, which means lizard foot and theropods, which means beast foot, theropods being carnivores and sauropods being long-necked plant eaters, um, two very different groups and divergent branches of the dinosauria. They got the names backwards. Uh, the one with the lizard feet and the one with the beast foot, i.e. the theropods, should have been the herbivores and the, herb- and the sauropods should have been the carnivores. They got it backwards, completely wrong, and a really obvious, glaring mistake. And to this day, 130 years later, they are still referred to incorrectly as it just stuck and no one ever wanted to change it, so it just is now entrenched. So these are theropods, even though it makes no sense, and sauropods, which equally makes no sense. Um, we still Jesus. call pygmy pythons Antaresia prothensis, and they're not. I've been to Perth, and I've been looking for pygmy pythons. They're not there. You've got to go hundreds of miles of the north before you find a pygmy python because the original type specimen was labeled wrong. There are, same thing with, like, Timor pythons. You know there's no Timor pythons in Timor at all. They don't occur on Timor. The original type specimen was misidentified and mislabeled as having come from Timor. They're in a lot of islands that are kind of in that vicinity, but there are no Timor pythons in Timor. It's a misnomer, but it's so entrenched it doesn't, it's just going to stick. Um, you know, it can, on occasion... You can in our in our hobby and end of it. We you, you can get people to see the light. Uh, you see a lot of people now using the term incomplete dominance. Mm-hmm. And you know after most people still say codom, which is is not correct and never was correct, never will be correct. 
all because, you know, Kevin McCurley years and years ago with the uh, spiders and pastel balls, uh, they're calling it codom, and it just stuck, and then everything's codom. To be right. fair, the definitions of codominance and incomplete dominance are confusing and similar. It's not like it's an easy. That's a pretty easy one to get the wrong one. It's a little okay. confusing, but it's not correct. And you do see, eventually, uh, you know, people uh, get the hint. So now I see a fair few people using the correct term. Um, now, if we could get them to quit saying leucistic, that would be good. Because uh, that's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> Uh, and I can't, I can't use, I can't say it with a hard C either. I just can't bring myself to do it. It's just like it just sounds wrong. Uh, but it's, but it's not pronounced logistic. How do you, hard how do you manage? It's not my fault. It's like it's flat. I mispronounced the Lucy thing on purpose myself, even though I know good and well it's not right. I just can't bring myself to it. It just sounds stupid the other way, the correct way. Right. It really does. Well, think about it. I mean. Think about it. Le- you don't get leukemia, you get leukemia. I mean, it's like, it's not, it's the same. It's true. It's like, but leukistic, leukistic sounds funny. But that's what it is. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, it's, say leukistic. You just can't do it. I, just, I can't. Well, I'm, I'm not even going to try. I can't either. At this point. I'm just going to go with it. No one's going to notice anyway. We're all, I mean, we're all in the same boat. But uh, that God. one, yeah, I can't do that one. But, uh, Incomplete dominant. I'd love it if people would quit calling snakes IJs. That'd be great. Your eyes when people I started calling talk about snakes that. IJs. It was <laughs> right. It was at the time in the mid '90s when they started calling them IJs. It was already incorrect. That area <laughs> hasn't been Irian Jaya since before those snakes entered the United States. It's been Irian Jaya like 30 years. So what <laughs> should they be nuts. called? I quit doing it. Oh. Well, even like, remember Yasser? Do you remember? You're old. You guys are old. You remember Yasser? I do remember Yasser. Yeah. Even he, yeah. even he recognized that they're not really from Irian Jaya because Irian Jaya is not a thing that exists. He started calling them West Papuans because that area where they're from was uh, that province. They changed the name. It was West Papua. They changed the Indonesia for whatever reason has changed the name of that particular area like four times in the last thirty years. Currently, it's Papua province, hence the name Papuan Carpet Python. I just call them Papuan Carpet Python. The entire island is technically called Papua. The people on both sides of the island are Papuan. The province is called Papua. So that's the most correct term you could use, a Papuan Carpet Python. It will always be correct, no matter what Indonesia changes the name of that place, too. So it's... Okay. Yeah, it's... it's it, Yeah, it's crazy. It's... it's Oh, you're in giant, but the name sticks and people. I find myself having to use it so that people know, use the wrong term on purpose so that people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. That, that I think is one of the big problems. All the time. That, yeah. People who know have to keep using the old term so that they don't have to sit there and explain for 20 minutes how, like, if, what, what, what's in front of the person. So. I used to be more amenable to that sort of philosophically where you just go with the flow and just do what everybody else is doing in mm. terms of nomenclature. And now I'm just getting old and curmudgeonly and I just, nope, I'm using the right word. You can't figure it out. <laughs> keep up. Try to keep up. I'm using the correct word. It's not, it's it's not that complicated. <laughs> There's not that many instances of this. It's not that, it's not like they're changing things every week. It's like, it's not that difficult. Right. So, yeah, that's the, so, that's my rant on 
Poplin carpet pythons. Okay, so now we know. Going forward, they're all Poplin carpet pythons. I like it. So I'm going to call them I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I would imagine if anybody does that you would. What's the thinking behind why Poplin carpets and Poplin um, uh, pythons um, change color? Um, During the course of the day, like fire up. That's not particular. That's not a, a, a subject that's been particularly well studied. Hmm. Okay. Um, so, really, you're in the realm of just like informed speculation. Really, there's not a ton of research to refer to on that. Not so much the mechanism of what of how, but the why. Why are they doing this? There's clearly a correlation uh, with temperature. Uh, and that makes perfect sense. If it's cold and you get dark, you'll absorb more heat. And if it's hot and you get light, you'll radiate. You'll lose heat. Sure. So the, mm-hmm. uh, there's clearly a thermoregulatory sort of pro- part to it. But sometimes it goes the opposite way around. I did carpet. I just said it. I just did it myself. Ah, I did damn it. it myself. <laughs> damn you, Owen. No. Um, <laughs> we blame Owen. We were doing so well. <laughs> I, I, that's always my, my mantra, just when and down blame Owen. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Mine too. Mine too. Yeah. You guys can curse me from different corners of the globe. It's good. So, yeah. The proverbial, whip, the proverbial whipping boy. Uh, yeah. But with poplin carpet pythons, you'll notice um, at night they tend to get paler, which is kind of counterintuitive. If you were, you'd think you'd be lighter in the day when it's warmer and darker at night, but it's actually just the opposite. They get weirdly ghostly pale at night sometimes. Um, I, I don't understand that exactly. I've noticed that with, like, females' reproduction cycles, like brevet mm-hmm. pythons that I saw Dave Palumbo was talking about earlier, they are nice-looking most of the year. Then the temperatures are to drop, and they get dark and ugly. And yes. then females, in the last few di- the last little tail end of being gravid, get light again. And so usually when they're sitting on eggs, they look like a million bucks. They're like crazy pale. When you think they would want to be darker, like it helps, you know, warm those eggs, but they end up really light at, right at the finish line. I, I don't understand why, but they know what they're doing. Right. That's so cool. Hmm. Yeah, and okay. Poplin olive pythons, which I hate. Again, they're not olive pythons, guys. But <laughs> Poplin pythons. I know. Yeah. They're not. Anybody that thinks they're an olive python is nuts. Like, oh, no. For the record, they no. are... I believe they... The closest relative of the poplin pythons are is the Australian lyases, and the closest relative species-wise is the Australian olive. But they couldn't be more different. I mean, they're really, really bizarre snakes. Um, so, you know, whether or not they deserve their own genus or they should be folded into lyases—that's a, a matter of some debate. But mm-hmm. uh, they're morphologically. The problem with taxonomy anymore is it's a bunch of – it's largely lab jockeys who've never even handled or seen these snakes, and the person just testing samples, and they want to make it 100% about genes mm-hmm. and nothing else. Nothing else matters to them. But that's right. an absurdity, and it leads you to ridiculous conclusions um, because genotype and phenotype don't have to necessarily be particularly strongly linked. You can have something that's very different genetically – like water pythons in Queensland and water pythons in Northern Territory, they look the same on the outside. Genetically, they should be two different species. But they look the same. Their phenotype is almost identical, but their genotype is quite different. And other things can have radical differences in uh, phenotype and 
tiny differences in genotypes. And the best example of that is humans and chimpanzees, which are less than like a half a percent difference. If you took the genes that don't think it matters argument, then chimpanzees should be in, homo, in the genus Homo, and they should be the same species as us. In fact, right. if you went with that, all of the great apes should be in the same species as us. Yeah. Because there's very little that separates us. There's you know, things that regulate gene expression and whatnot. There's, there's more to it. It's a, it's a gross oversimplification. But, you know, if you, I think that morphology and, and phenotype should matter. It shouldn't be just one. You should take a more holistic approach to these things and look at all of these things. And when you look, take into account, okay, there are genetic differences, whatever, but when you take in their morphological differences are pronounced and huge, uh, that should count for something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, taxonomy is one of those things that'll, it's, I find it very interesting, but at the same time it hurts your head because you got, there's there's no set. (laughs) There's nothing that's set. Like, you know, we, we've talked about it a million times, but like, because they decided that 5% was the cutoff and inlands are, you know, really probably should be a whole species, (laughs) you know? They they are just the three people or the two people that worked on that particular thesis. That was their completely made up artificial line. But it right. has no bearing on anything. If you look at the two thousand three paper that broke apart the scrub python complex, they use some of them are like two percent different. Full species. But right. other people because there's no actual rule. Mm. Right. Uh, there is no there's it's just the wild west. It's whatever arbitrary standards the person writing a paper wants to make up. And when you have that, you end up with these sorts of situations. Um, it's, so I think they, they need a unified, a uniform standard as to, you know, what constitutes a species at a genetic level and, you know, what are the kind of more defined rules rather than just like leaving it open to interpretation. Um, right. Taxonomy as far as with, among pythons, what needs to go where and what mm-hmm. should be a species and what shouldn't, to me anyway, is completely and unbelievably painfully obvious. It's not the way it should be, but the answer is not is entirely self-evident if people would only open their eyes. It's like there are people who just don't want to see or haven't looked into it, I suppose, but it's really obvious what needs to go where. Um, I will say that in terms of the taxonomy of pythons, it's widely accepted. It is closer now than it ever has been to being accurate. It's close. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. really all that far off. There are some things that need to be moved around um, uh, in some pretty significant ways. Uh, but nothing, I mean, you're, it's all the searching for, you know, uh, you know, uh, phylogeny that makes sense, you know. Uh, right. It's pretty close, but there's still a few, like, like, why on earth are blood pythons in the genus python? That's absolutely a crime. I mean, it's like, it clearly yeah, is their own thing. I mean, yeah. they have so many anatomical features and that are just so different from all other pythons. They're all, they're the very definition of a genus. They are very similar to each other and very different from literally everything else. <laughs> you know, but nope, it's python. You know, it's, and that's ridiculous. So I'm glad they finally split the scrub python out. The most screwed up genus of pythons is Morelia, was Morelia, because Morelia is what's called paraphyletic. It's not a natural group. 
it's what they, you know what really was? Taxonomists over here, they just took all the pythons with prehensile tails and stuck them in the same group because they thought <laughs> right. that that was literally the only thing that unified them was the prehensile tail, and that they must be closely related, which is bunk. I mean, it's not, I mean, a, a ge- genetically, a chondro is no closer related to a carpet than it is to a children's python. Right. right. Or a black-headed python, for that matter. All those, th- all those lineages are equidistant from each other. Um, so they're not, it's not any more closely. Just because you think your carpet python looks and seems more like your condor does not, in fact, mean they are more closely related. Um, hmm. You know, it's a bit of convergence, and they all have a shared ancestry, but that goes back a long way. So they diversified in different ways, but they're, that, they shared the last common ancestor of all Australian pythons about 35 million years ago. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about a Stimson's python or a chondro or a carpet or a ruffy or an olive python. It's all 35 million years ago. So in that sense, right. they, you know, it's all the same. Why do you think, like, you can make all these ridiculous hybrid pythons, but carpondros or fertility have serious fertility problems, don't they? And yeah. let's face it, they do. Uh, yeah. If they were so closely related, why do they? Why? Why is that one? That's one you thought for sure those babies would be able, males and females be able to reproduce with each other. You that was you know because they're not as closely related, in fact, as people thought they were or assumed that they were. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. That's a whole other whole other thing. <laughs> whole other can. Yeah. Get me on that. <laughs> Bringing back memories, getting on some like anti-hybrid sort of. Uh, Ranch or something. I've been pretty, I've been pretty, uh, pretty res, you know, pretty restrained over the last seven, eight, ten years on that one. To kind of just let it go. It's like people are going to do whatever they're going to do, whether it's a good idea or not. Rarely seems to factor into the process, but it's right. Whether there's long-term consequences, none of that matters. And I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Yeah, and it's no one seems to, to accept that. And, they, I wanted they don't to care now because they think because just in general in life people never really or rarely do they really contemplate the conflict and the long term consequences of the actions that they take. I came mm-hmm. up in the hobby at a, a lot a long time ago and it was a very different hobby. I have witnessed profound changes to the hobby in its mindset and its scale and scope and all of these things. And so I have a long sort of a long term perspective on it. I just like in a lot of things, you, you, you kind of want to leave the world in a better place than it was when you started. And mm-hmm. I feel that way about the hobby. I inherited in the early 1990s, a million years ago, uh, a really awesome hobby that was built off the hard work of the generation of people who came before me. They handed me this awesome hobby. And I have done my best to push the ball forward and make some progress and try to leave the hobby a bit better for those who come after me. And when you have a limited gene pool that you really realistically don't have, whether you don't have a whole lot of hope in hell of getting new bloodlines. I mean, it's pretty rare that that's a thing. And that's not something you can count on. You don't get to replenish your, you know, you pretty much, you have to, you have to give some thought to how do you manage a limited resource in this case, your genetic diversity in your gene pool. And it seems that nobody wants to do that. It's all Mm -hmm. what I feel like at this moment and to hell with anything else. It's like, what's, in 20 years, well, a person just getting into carpet pythons in 20 years, what will their opinion be of the people now who are just mixed everything up in the genetic meat grinder when in 20 years they can't find it with any confidence of pure Brunnels python, we'll say? Will those purpose in 20 years, how will they look back at the people now who are doing that now 
just for their own amusement. Will they look back and think, oh, man, I'm, I'm sure glad they did that, or will they think, that's kind of fucked up. I wish somebody would, you know, maintain this so that they could enjoy it later. It's, uh, I pretty, the answer to that question is pretty obvious. Yet it right. doesn't stop. People just continue and continue and continue. I mean, I, and to the point of just, like, seeing the most absurd things, I have seen 88% carpet carpondros that are 12% green tree python and 88% nine different types of carpet python. And you know what they look like? They look like a carpet python. You know what they're going to become? A pure carpet python. That's what right. they're going to be. Because of nobody want, why would you want that? I saw, this is back in the old MT days, there was a guy who was all proud of himself. He made 88% matlock, matlock python hybrids. They were no, 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 that were, no. There were no. twelve first they were eighty eight percent there were three different types of carpet mixed together and they were oh, tags, but they were twelve percent Maclots pythons. Whatever happened to those snakes? Oh Did you I ever saw see one. for sale? I saw one recently. The, an adult. The 12, the, the, a twelve percent Maclots python? I saw a carpet Maclots python. And Yeah, you it, see that, but the the, the first generation fifty fifty hybrids are really extreme and weird looking. About right. 88%, it just looked like a, just looked like a carpet. Like, there was yeah. no evidence there was any Maclos blood in there at all. And when there's no evidence for that, and visually, and nobody wants it, it's just going to become that. So there's probably a bunch, I'm sure somebody bred them again to a carpet. It's like it's that sort of absurdity that we see. You know, it's why, you know, it, it's like I just, sometimes I feel very alone in the wilderness on that issue. It's like, because I've seen this whole process take place. I've watched it go from not screwed up to completely screwed up over a few mm. decades. And so it's, it's kind of disheartening. So I'll like, but I, I guess I just have come to the conclusion that I can only do what I can do. Right. And I will do my best to make as many pure, whatever as I possibly can for as long as I'm able to do so. And the rest of it's on that, I guess, on others. Uh, I, I, I do resent a little bit the kind of, often express sentiment as, oh, there'll always be guys like you who keep pure lines, pure nicks. It's like, what if my house burns down? What if my, you know, what if, you know, what if the apocalypse yeah. happens and my collection just dies off or freezes and my power goes out? Or what, what if something happens there? My building catches on fire? What happens then? You know, it's, you know, it's not my responsibility to take care of that for the entirety of permaculture. I would like to think that's a shared responsibility we all have to kind of keep these things, if, if it's important to do, what, you know, why aren't more people doing it? I mean, it's not, that's not just, you know, hybrid carpets. That's in general. I mean, like I'm trying like hell to breed Dunn's pythons right yes. now. I've got three females <laughs> full of follicles. I got yes. three girls full of follicles. But the males are not wanting to do a whole lot, though I think all the males are in shed. But that's effectively trying to resurrect a species that's been basically lost in the hobby. And it's not because we didn't have done pythons in the United States. We did. We even got bred a couple of times it's because nobody bothered to keep breeding them. Everybody got too busy and wrapped up breeding boa and ball python morphs to be bothered with it, and they've gone away. And now we have to, like, try to resurrect something at the 11th hour uh, so we don't lose it entirely. I mean, there was a point where ring pythons were really pretty common and kind of cheap. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. that time, you know. You get them for 150 bucks all day long. Now mm-hmm. there's like one guy breeding them, and they're really expensive. And you know what? If Tom's house burns down, so we'll never see another ring python for the rest of our lives. It's like that's <laughs> that's a that's a 
kind of a shitty indictment of our hobby in some way that people have gotten so worried about that nobody it's all about the me, 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 what I want, what I want to do, what I and nobody thinks about the long term implications. Nobody thinks about anybody else. It's all what do I want to do in this exact moment and to hell with everything else. And when you get to that point, we lose things. You know, okay, here uh you seen any South African rock pylons? Which are a full species, no. mind you. No. No. Mm-mm. They're entirely unavailable. You know what? You don't see them because there's a single specimen in the United States. It wasn't always that way. We had South African rock pythons. They got bred in the United States. Not often, but that was a thing. It was, a, it was around. They're not around. And now because of the legal issues around rock pythons and the, because that whole then, federal then side of the python around. band is still in effect, you will yeah. never ever, ever see one. It's entire, you will never in your lifetime ever get to see one. And we had them, and people screwed it off because it wasn't important, and nobody cares, and someone else will do that. Someone else will always do the thing that I can't be bothered to do. I don't need to do that because someone else will do it. Well, guess what? Nobody did it. Uh, right. The worst example of that, and it, I was personally kind of like just butthurt about it. Uh, I used to keep lizards and breed bats. You know what basilisk lizards are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bathlos are probably one of the most impressive, beautiful lizards in the world. There's four species of them. Uh, and one of those, the brown bathlos, not the striped bathlos that runs around in Florida as a feral population, but the real brown <laughs> bathlos, Bathloscus bathloscus, which looks like a green bathlos, but it's brown. It's got huge, like almost three feet long. It's the longest of the family of the mm-hmm. genus. And it's got uh, huge sails on its tail and its back. It's one of the most impressive things you could ever hope to see. Um, they were never really common, but Bert Langerworth at Agama International, to his credit, got his hands on some and bred a crapload of them, approximately 3,000 of them, because I got Jeez. one from them. And years later, and it, I can't remember, this is a long time ago, Years later, I got a hold of him and wanted to get some more. And he said, oh, you know, I stopped breeding them uh, because the prices really kind of collapsed because they, for a brief window of time, they weren't importing them. And then they started importing them. And he said he just couldn't keep up with the, the price of imports. He couldn't compete with that. So he sold off all of his adults and moved on to, I think it was when he got into those giant Lacertas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't blame the guy for a business decision. And since he made 3,000 of them, they should be well-established. And to this day, they are completely 100% unavailable in the hobby because none of the 3,000 ever got bred because nobody bothered. Nobody be bothered. And I talked to Bert about it before he passed, and he said he was just disgusted too, that nobody out of 3,000, nobody could be bothered to breed them because they all assumed that he would do it. And he, when he couldn't do it, we lost that species. There's a red-headed basilisk, which is a species that's so rare you're hard to even find a picture of one. It's hard mm-hmm. to even find a picture of one. And they're from Ecuador. He bred, he produced like 300 red-headed basilisks. Completely lost in the hobby. Will be one of the rarest Jesus. lizards in the hobby. Completely lost because nobody bothered. He bred a bazillion Australian water dragons, and for a while you could get them for sixty dollars. And when he passed away, they broke up all those groups, sold off all the adults, and now what's the last time he saw an Australian water dragon? It's been a long time, hasn't it? And they're really mm-hmm. expensive because nobody bothered, because everybody took the cop out, the easy way out. Someone else will always do it. Bert will always do it. Well, guess what? People don't live forever. Things happen. Life changes. 
and it can't all be one guy that has to do these things that are important to do. It's like, like there's no sense of shared responsibility for anything anymore. It's all just the me, 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 me. And I just, I, I just don't get it. I, I keep a lot of snakes. I am not really even that happy with, honestly, because if I don't do it, I know no one else will do it. I'm going to let you know a little secret. I fucking hate cannonball pythons. Hate them. Oh my God. <laughs> the worst snake is the most I, I horrible, I hate wretched, so much. vile creature I have ever maintained in my life. But I breed them every year because if nobody else is going to do it, what happens yeah. in Indonesia? What happens if Indonesia is a th- very much a third world country? What happens with mm-hmm. Indonesia, like all third world countries, where they just quit exporting stuff on a whim for no good reason? We lose those things because nobody bothers to keep them going. Most of the stuff is only available because Indonesia allows export. But that's not, you know, that's not a, a given that that's going to continue. Right. And there's hiccups and stuff all the time, like trying to find a viper boa now that nobody breeds, really. Uh, they're quite difficult to obtain and quite expensive when they used to be $30. And, you know, they should be, they should be cheap. They're not terribly difficult to breed, but nobody bothered because they always assumed they would be able to get imports. And now that they can't, the price is going through the roof. Remember when right. monkey tail skinks for 100 bucks? Yeah. Like, uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like a grand now. I remember having at one point I had like eight because you can't get wild caught ones. Uh, yeah. I remember I had eight uh I had eight Philippine salesman lizards from the Philippines. Oh, they're and uh I paid twenty seven dollars a piece for them. This was my early nineties. Twenty seven dollars right. a lizard. Now they're a thousand dollars a lizard because the Philippines decided to quit exporting wildlife, just like Indonesia could do tomorrow. And when you know uh they quit. Now you, you don't get Philippine retics. You don't get Philippine anything anymore. And those lizards, they, there's like literally one guy that actually bothered to breed them, and now they're crazy expensive. And it's the largest. It's the largest agamid lizard in the world. It's the largest member of the enormous family of agamidae. It's the largest one, mm-hmm. and it's almost it's hardly available at all uh, because nobody could be bothered. So I think that if everybody in our hobby in whatever branch of it, if they would devote just a couple of tubs or a couple of cages towards something just for the betterment of the hobby, how much better would our hobby be? I mean, yeah. it's not that much. Yeah. If you've got 200 tubs, if you've got a rack with 200 slots in it, is it going to kill you to have a pair of Sabu pythons? Oh, Let alone the Sabu pythons are freaking awesome. They're yeah, awesome. I know. But you know what, you never, you know what you're never going to see for the rest of your life? A wild-caught Sabu python because they close, they're not allowed to be exported. Yep. Just like you're never going to see a, a done – these things are not coming in. And if we do not keep these things alive and keep these lineages going, they're going to be lost. And 20 years from now, they'll be gone. They're not that common now. You don't see a lot of Sabu pythons, do you? No. Because you see <laughs> this shifts towards it's the trivial at the expense of the what the truly rare is. It's like it's all about whatever the trivial thing is of the moment, and that – you know, no one keeps their eye on the prize as far as the, the rarer things. If we put as a hobby one-tenth the effort we put into breeding mutants, we put that into breeding Boland's pythons, Boland pythons, we'd all have a bunch of Boland's pythons where they'd be breeding them like clockwork. But we're not breeding them like clockwork because there's only a handful of guys that are actually putting in the effort. And the overwhelming majority of people are trying to breed the latest, greatest combination of mutations in some really easy species. I mean, yeah. and I breed, I say that as a person who breeds, I have every morph of everything. I mean, I, I, 
I have every carpet morph that you can possibly obtain. I have. I have every, I mean, I've got albino olive pipe. I have all that stuff, I mean, but it's not the only thing I have. I right. devote a ton of cage space and time to things that are not commercially viable. You know who's going to care about a Duns Python? Oh, me. And you. Like a friend of mine in Minnesota, there's probably about seven people who are going to give a crap because it's not yeah. a morse and it's depressing. It's like, but you got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I was in a position to get those snakes. It took years. Yeah. But somebody's got to do it. It's important to do it. I just wish more people would do something and you know, think that way a little bit. You know, you I mean, say that, the, Nick, and, like, the, the past year, I've been, like, trying my hardest to, to you know, take that to heart, you know, and, like, I trying know to find... Have, I've been following it. <laughs> Some of these... Honestly, I, I... You can't find. A, You're impossible. No. I know, and that's why. I mean, it's... Uh, oh, rock pythons. I know she got the rock pythons, and they're a million dollars, because there's literally one guy that actually bothered to breed them, and all the rest of them are dead or gone. And now you can't yeah. get a wild with You can't get any more, and they're incredibly rare. Now, they're a big, nasty, despicable creature. But, <laughs> large. Right. but I still think it'd be a damn shame if we let them completely go away. So I, yeah. I applaud your efforts. I'm, uh, you know, honestly, uh, I consider you one of my better success stories, Eric, over the years. <laughs> I've been long, been friends for a long time. You've done well, Grasshopper. Seriously, I I sold you some of your first carpets and everything about a million years ago. We were both much younger and probably had more hair. Yeah. uh, And over the years, you've really, like, you know, I remember distinctly having a conversation with you that, you know, that told you you needed to, like, to just go for it. I mean, think outside the box, do something, be bold. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. And just really go for it. And then very shortly thereafter, you started Rally Pilot Radio, which I thought, I will admit, didn't think that would work. I thought that's too narrow of a niche for a, Yeah, we didn't either. I did. I thought, I thought it's too narrow of a niche for a, for a podcast only about ostensibly carpet pythons. It's too narrow. But again, I was completely wrong. <laughs> little by little, year in and year out, you guys built a huge audience and been really successful. But that's, you know, that's. You know, the, spirit, the, man, and now the, the thing of it is, is, is uh, I think like somebody brought up, uh, I can't remember, but somebody in the chat, they were talking about what are their thoughts on why scrubs and bowlings and all. I think it just comes down to being consistent. And like mm-hmm. what I've learned from guys like you, Nick, and Ryan Young, and, and guys that have been successful with breeding multiple species of pythons and whatnot, is just the fact of being consistent. Like, and I think that applies in life 100%. So just like taking that in my head and saying, okay, well, if we're going to do a podcast, then we're going to have to do it every week. You know, it's just like I'm venturing into the YouTube world and it's the same type of deal. Like people are going to tune in to hear it. Like these, there's podcasts out there that are great, but you can't, you know, you're like waiting, like, oh, when's the next one going to be? It's like, God damn it, man. Like, you're really fucking up my drive to work. Like, I need to hear, a, you know, I don't know. I, I just consistency think, like, uh, is, consistency yeah. is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You watch YouTube. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what you're doing on YouTube. But if you look at YouTube, there are a lot of incredibly shitty YouTube channels that have a ton of people watching. Why do they watch? Because it's always on. It may not be good. But it's always there. 
You yeah. don't want to be in there. It might be a regularly scheduled piece of crap, and there's a ton right. of that, but it's always there. Hell or high water, it's on. And it's like and people like the ritual. They like the routine. And so if you're going to do it, then you got to be consistent. And it doesn't matter whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or, a, you know, or, or breeding, breeding snakes. or snakes. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. It's like do the same. It's like if it works. Why I see people all the time who will, are successfully breeding whatever, and then they completely change their whole philosophy on keeping. It's like why would you? It's like it was working perfectly. <laughs> why did you <laughs> break it? If, if something is working perfectly and you change it, you can't improve on working perfectly, can you? You can decrease efficiency. You can make it work less good. So what do you hope to gain? You can't work more than perfectly. If it was working just fine, you know, what are you doing? And and when you change what you're doing, if you're, how you're cycling or cycling at all or whatever you're doing, if you're changing that every year, your snakes get into an annual rhythm. Mm-hmm. And if you keep changing that, you're screwing that up. It's like if you move your breeding season. I had a I, – when I built my snake building about 10 years ago, uh, it was, you know, a bad contractor story, like most contractor stories. Uh, it mm-hmm. was supposed to be done in June, and I was finishing it in December uh, mm-hmm. because they were three and a half months late getting the structure built. Uh, and then I finished all the electrical and drywall work and all that and finished work inside myself. But because they were three and a half months late, I was way behind schedule, and I was hauling ass. But mm-hmm. I started cycling my snakes two months later than normal, two months mm-hmm. later. Uh, and it was the worst year I'd ever had. I produced 80 babies, 80, from a collection the size of mine. Why? Because for years and years and years and years, a decade before that, everything had gotten was in an annual rhythm, started at the same time, and basically the train, it's not, I mean, the train had pulled away from the station whether I was ready or not. Mm-hmm. I did get a clutch of olive pythons that year. It was one of the few clutches I got. And mm-hmm. all of my, my female, same female, I, when I went to grab the, uh, her egg box, I hadn't taken the label off from the previous year uh, off mm-hmm. of that. I just happened to, by happenstance, grab the egg box that I put that female's eggs in the year before. So I, mm-hmm. I had the, I was staring at the date as I was cleaning the box out here for the new egg in. She laid on the same day, one year, two years in a row, the exact same to the day, exactly 365 days between, the, between clutches. I started cycling two months later, but she laid on the same day because that process of follicular genesis, they get a rhythm, it's gonna, it begins, and I just missed the window. By the time I was actually able to get things cycled and put things together, that window had already closed for most things. Hmm. Right. So, if you're going yeah, to lose I, your breeding season, the start <laughs> time, don't do it, do it. Never change it more than seven days in a year. So if you want to move it a month earlier, that's going to take four years. If you don't want to disrupt things, really slow. You can, you can fudge it a little bit, but you can't fudge it a couple months, you're going to have a terrible season. I proved that. That was a tough year. Spent a ton of money, made no money. Right. <laughs> you know, all that stuff's still got to eat. All that stuff's still got to eat everything, uh, whether they make babies or not. Right. Yeah, it was like the season after I moved. I had a horrible season. I think I only got two clutches. So... You know, yeah. that was yeah, – and then Eric took his yep. year off last year because he moved. So Yeah. Yeah, because it would have been a crappy year anyway, probably. Exactly. <laughs> why, why risk it? Yeah. Save yourself the disappointment, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then the, I figured the females would get more – you know, they, they wouldn't be as stressed. They would settle in. And then 
in 2018, I would have a, a much better season. And, I, you know, like, as far as, like, locks and stuff, I'm kicking it out of the park. You know, it's like, it's, it's looking really good. So, yeah. you know, so. Absolutely. I don't know. No, that was, I mean, <laughs> if you're moving, especially, you know, unless you're moving in, like, April or early in the year, you could probably get away with it. But if you're moving in the middle of things or <laughs> at the beginning of the breeding season, it, 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 there's no sense to do that kind of stuff. I had... I have a baby room now, and it's not even the same. Technically, my babies are in a different building than my adults. It's right next to it. It's attached to it, but it's I have to go outside to get in the baby room. I can't. Mm-hmm. There's no air that goes between those two. It's a completely separate structure, technically. And uh, when I moved the babies, they were all in one in the main building for years and years and years and years. When I moved the moved them to the uh, new room, when it was all done. I had a bunch of them go off feet. Like really? Like they literally moved like you know, I I I carry I didn't even take them out of the rack. I didn't even empty the water bowls. I had a friend who was pretty strong. We lifted the racks up upright with the snakes still in them in the tubs. And just moved so they didn't she didn't even been aware that anything happened really, but a bunch of them went off the and, <laughs> and they, the total distance traveled was probably only forty feet. And they never came out of the tub. And it was still like I don't know if the air pressure was different, something, but they, they, you know, I had a few of them that did not, you know, gave me fits for a little while. Well-established ones. So, things, yeah, moving things, you got to be careful about stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so you're going to ask me hard sure. questions, or is it all going to be easy stuff? <laughs> it's all fluffy. <laughs> no, it's all easy stuff. We, we don't do hard questions today. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about your um, your projects that you kind of don't really show often that much. It's like, uh, well, we talked about the Duns, but I'm curious, like, with your Diamonds and your Halma Harris, like, how's that coming along? Uh, the Duns, I'm hopeful this year. I'd nice. be more thrilled if I see an actual lockup, but sometimes I think animals go into sheds all to, I think, like, of the six, of the 3.3 Duns, I think five of the six are in shed. They're together, but they're just kind of, they're always cuddly, but I've yet to catch a definite lock. I see, sometimes you'll see like the males will be kind of clearly courting where they got their tail kind of pressed sideways and at a weird angle and they're clearly, you know, angling for something, but I've not seen a definite lock, but all three females have palpable follicles. Jesus. Um, so I'm really, really hoping for that. That would be, that's why I think I think would be the most important uh, for me this yep, year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got other, certainly not the, oh, you know, I have a lot of morph stuff just like everybody else because that's an inescapable part of the, I mean, it's when I'm ranting and raving out morphs are screwing everything up, but it's still pretty fun. I mean, I have a million of those things too. Uh, right. I should make hypogenetic strike, actual hypo striped brittle spilons. This is the oh, year. Nice. nice. I should be able to finally put to rest how hypo is inherited scientifically. Okay. Uh, I should be okay. able to finally answer. Well, those hypo stripe, stripe hypo clutches should give me the answer I'm looking for. Well, the answer, whether or not I'm looking, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. But I should have an answer and be able to finally put that one to rest. It just takes a long time because of the slow time between generations of both kinds. I had to raise them up, make outcross hypos, then breed those back to each other. But at four years per generation, uh, which is always four years, unless you're Ralph, uh, in which case, 
He's the, he's the luckiest guy in the world. <laughs> Ralph Polinski. Good Lord. I'm going to stop selling that yeah. guy snakes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would just have a spike. I don't even try yeah. to put him together. I don't even try to put them together until they're four years old, uh, no matter what they are. Uh, so that I should be able to put that one to rest. That'll be good to have that settled and done and dusted. But, oh, that's yeah, cool. yeah. Maybe I'll buy okay. all the Pythons this year. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, I'm a hell of a time getting that male to breed the female albinos. I, I still can't get my normals to breed, so you're already still far ahead of me. And, um, I assume more rough scale uh, stuff to tempt me with. So, yeah, you know, I I, uh, I haven't seen them doing a whole lot this year. I mean, I'd be a little surprised if I don't get any, but I keep looking and, you know, if I look back through my records and when I started getting populations for most things, it's really like middle of January before anything starts happening on any sort of regular basis. So it's really mm-hmm. only just now about that time. So I always get my process for breeding snakes is always the same. I do everything the same every year, same time, you know, consistency. And then the same thing always happens. Nothing starts breeding when I first put them together. Then I go through like a couple of weeks of like a mini depressive episode where I'm thinking <laughs> it's the end of the world. The sky is falling. Nothing is breeding. I'm not going to have any babies. The hell with it. I just, I get kind of, you know, bitchy about it and everything for a couple of weeks. And then things start breeding and I calm down and then it turns out all right. But that's my problem. So I'm just now on the at the point where I should start coming out of my doom and gloom, nothing is going to breed this year phase. Um, and, you know, and sure enough, you know, now every time I put things together, there's a few more, you get a little more action. I have, uh, I don't even know how many virgin males, 15 or 20 virgin males hmm. this year that I've never, that are just, this is their time to bat. I mean, I'm not going to use them all, but I have that many. And, a lot of times they don't, you know, virgin males take a little while to get fired up. And I'm starting to see a few of these new ivory males and jungle, mostly jungle cart stuff, but uh, I'm starting to see them turn on and, and start getting with the program. So that's good. So I should have some new combinations, not necessarily more, but new genetic combinations of animals that I've not paired in previous years. So, oh, nice. Uh, that's always fun to kind of see how they turn that's out. Cool. So. What about your uh, Tiger awesome. Darwins? Uh, what a, that's kind of a sore subject, I guess. But not going into a lot of detail. It was kind of a there was a little bit of a kerfuffle about that. So I, uh, oh, and, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize <laughs> the animals are the animals are fine, but I got pretty pissed off at somebody over that deal, uh, where something um, had happened in relation to that. So. I, I made a post about it. I kind of unveiled them. I've been working on this for a couple of generations and years. Uh, mm-hmm. And then something kind of happened and caused some friction, and I just got pissed off and just never posted them for sale again. And uh, because of what happened, I, you know, I had a couple of people asking about them, and then those people just immediately vanished because they thought there was some greener pasture somewhere else based on the actions of a certain person. Uh, which turned out, you know, there were no greener pastures, but people have short attention spans. Uh, and gotcha. I just got kind of disgusted. And like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just keep them all again. I don't care. I don't need to sell them. Uh, right. I did just sell the best pair, though. I A lot of, like, the very best stuff uh, usually goes to, like, insiders and people that know somebody. Uh, and yeah. that's always been the case, and it always will be the case. It's like, well, Eric, you get animals for me that know people. I sold you things people don't even know exist. 
I mean, yep. <laughs> because you know the right guy. It's well, if you have, if you've got something that like there, there's only going to be one pair you're going to let go of. It's like it never is something that makes it to your website or that you're running mm-hmm. ads for. It's usually something that somebody that knows you knows you got that one you're finally going to part with, and then it gets gobbled up before the public even knows it existed. Right. I haven't run an ad for an ivory jungle in like seven years or something. It's like the few that I ever get released is like it's always somebody who knows me and it's just it's gone before anybody even knows. And it's right. that kind of a, you know, that kind of stuff, I guess. I mean, it, I, yeah, I, projects that people don't know I work on, it's because they're usually, if I sell anything, it's gone and <laughs> never makes it to my website. <laughs> I think I have seven entire clutches of carpets that never made it to my website this year at all. I mean, a lot of it's stuff that I have held back or, you know, I let go of, you know, one, there's a clutch, there's a small clutch, there's like nine babies. I'm letting one pair go and that's it. And it's already sold and you never even saw it. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, what are you going to, if you put stuff back out there, they go, oh, you know, they all get mad that they don't get a, it's easier if they didn't know it existed, I guess. It's, Right. Because what would I do? Put it on my website, like, hey, look what you guys aren't getting, you know? Like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Son of a bitch. God damn it. And the one nice thing about, like, having enough space and producing enough babies is that I have the, a luxury that a lot of people don't have. It's like, I can just say, screw it, I'll keep them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, right. you know, and sometimes I do that for selective breeding purposes, usually, but there have been a couple times, like, those drive Darwin's where I just like set it out of like spite almost. I just got angry and just like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to keep it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is not really a rational way to run a business. I'll I'll grant you. That's probably not the the best way to go about it. But I've got a bunch of albino, I've got a bunch of albino tiger Darwin's too, but I can't, you've hatched albinos. You can't tell what they look like hardly. Weirdly like the hybrid albinos, the mixed ones are easier to tell what they're going to look like when they're babies. The pure ones are such washed out pink little worms, it's really hard to tell. I gotta get, raise them for like six months before I can even see if they're striped. But the ones from the best, oh. the, you know, the handful of striped pets are from two clutches, but those clutches were really albino heavy. So I haven't even taken a picture of any of the albinos. I just kept all of them until uh, hmm. I can see what they look like. There's a couple that are clearly striped from head to tail that are really extreme. They're starting starting to get to that point where I can see a little bit. It's, it's looking good, but so, yeah, I think that's, nice. I mean, one of my great joys in the hobby is like when I look at something that someone makes via hybridization and then I just take like one extra generation I make them look the same without hybridizing. So you guys will make your albino tigers and I'll make the exact same thing without crossing into a coastal carpet. It'll take me <laughs> a little longer. Right. Oh God, I have striped everything. I have striped locality jungles of from three different types of striped locality. I've got striped, I have completely striped Brisbane coastals. I've got, it seems I, like uh, things pops Brisbane. out with such regularity, I just keep them. And then it, within like a couple, you know, two generations, I've got a line of striped whatever. The Darwins, I've, I've got everything. I don't have striped normal, uh, I'll just say it, IJs, because it's a yeah. <laughs> I don't have a striped IJ line. It's like, I'll just leave that. To, there are people working on that. I'll just, I can't do everything, but uh, I'll, I'll leave do, that I'm one. doing that, Nick. There you I'll, go. I'll, Eric's I'll, got it. 
I'll hook you up. You need to not worry about that. You need to get some eggs out of that hypo-y-looking female I sent you like three years ago. She's gorgeous. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, and I don't, that that I don't, don't like IJs, you know. That is a dream pairing of, like, if you want, like, selectively bred, no black pigment at all kind of looking, I mean, that. When you get that clutch and you send me that half, I'm not selling any. I'm just gonna sit on all of them. Yeah, I'm you not selling any of them either. <laughs> the, oh, good. So no... the way these things work, there's going to be a couple babies in there, just a couple that are going to be better than either parent. And if you sell yeah. them, Murphy's Law is you end up selling that one. You just keep yeah. them all, hoard them all back. And then, uh, man, then you, you imagine screw. like that project. In, a, in the second generation, you keep the best babies from that, you put them together, what will those their holdbacks look like? They'll be mind-boggling. They'll be I, yeah, I wonder if they'll all just look at albino, you know? I mean, like, you know how, like, Jason did that uh, red, red, and, it, you know, it had that albino look to it? I wonder yeah, if they red coastal go the though. same route. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, going to be cool. I think that the, the way the color change progresses, I think it'll, you'll end up, or something very hypomelanistic looking. I mean, having done a few of these really long-term selective breeding projects, like the ivory thing that's now, oh, my God, how many years is that? 20, 24 years? You know, right. Basically a quarter of a century of poking around trying to breed the white off of the jungle garbage, or the yellow off the jungle garbage. <laughs> Eventually, you get to a point where you're not really going to get any wider, but you can get more, and you're, you're working on consistency and something that breeds true. Gotten to that point with the ivory, they're all white and they all will be. They can't make non. They can't make normal looking babies. And eventually, you, know, you get to that point. We'll get to that point, and it's you know suddenly your hypo EIJs that breed true and always make consistent. I mean, I'll use the the gamma jags, even though it's kind of the antithesis of my philosophy. Uh, <laughs> right. On breeding anything, it's kind of like the right. what's the last thing in the world Nick would ever make or. But it would be that, but I'll give them one thing. It's like they're consistent. Like if you like that look and you want that snake, if you buy one, it's pretty much going to look like that. They've you know, just force of will and selective breeding have nailed this down to a point where they're pretty consistently always look like that. I mean, some are better than others, but natural, but it's really a consistent phenotype. And it wouldn't have been if it wasn't just for people constantly, you know, keep chipping away at it. So, uh, yeah, I, I can can't wait to anything. see. I, yeah, I can't wait to see like you know uh, Inlands and Darwins and uh, you know IJs in a few well like maybe what fifteen years from now like uh, you know some selective breeding put yeah. into it. Um, Hopefully, gonna, yeah, I mean if people are willing to put the work into it. It can't be just me. I mean, it's, I've got more selective. I, I can't do every project. I have so many. Oh, my God, selective breeding project. There are a couple people with some really nice inland carpets working on that one. We may have a ton of potential. Yeah. There are a few people. Uh, I know in the Brettles Python side of things that are um, similarly minded, you know, guys that they might have hypos and this or that, but they're also doing pairings of just, like, very high-quality, normal wild-type animals and trying to refine yes. that, you know, mm-hmm. not just the more. I'm most excited about that IJ clutch, more excited than my exantic granite stuff. I mean, that's a normal, just the most awesome wild-type example. That, is, that excites me more at this point. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. I think people get so wrapped up in that it's got to be a morph to be interesting. You know what's cooler looking in my mind than an albino Darwin? A normal Darwin. A really nice normal Darwin is a freaking beautiful snake. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. But people so yeah. often focus on the albino side of it. And that's neat. And I've, you know, I got the first albinos in the country, of course. I was all over it as soon as I could. But, but the, when I, you know, the normal ones are amazing. Um, and there's a ton of selective breeding potential there that's just barely, I mean, I'm just now, well, I guess I'm in my second generation of selective breeding of Darwin's, but there's a ton of untapped potential there. Um, and it's like it with everything. I mean, I mean, the Brettles Python has every bit as much potential to be red as a jungle carpet did to be yellow. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like make a jungle carpet white, you can do anything. You can make, imagine how blue you could make an inland carpet. You know, and there's yeah. all sorts of, all sorts of things that you can do over time. I just, it used to be that the hobby, there was a lot more emphasis on selective breeding. And now mm-hmm. there is, it's just all about morphs. I mean, the jungle carpet guys, to their credit, are all about selective breeding, but I'm going to say something wildly unpopular here, uh, but it's absolutely true, is that you're just spinning your wheels. You literally can't get anywhere selective breeding jungles. It is literally impossible to selectively breed jungles to be more yellow. They have achieved the maximum amount of yellow that is just biologically possible. Have you noticed that if you look at the really awesome pictures of jungles from 20 years ago, they're just as good as the best jungles today, that no progress <laughs> has been made. There's been zero, and I mean fucking zero progress in selective breeding of jungles for yellow in the last two decades. Because 20 years ago, you hit the ceiling. You can't be, there's nothing brighter than fluorescent yellow. That's as bright of a yellow as yellow gets. There's nowhere left to go. I mean, and so now you, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a bright yellow jungle card. It's all over the place. It's like it's not even – I don't understand that. It's like there's – I mean, yet in that same time, no one's bothered to make a really nice striped jungle line just by selective breeding, which is easy to do. Uh, but no one bothered to do it. It's all banded yellow and black now just like it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And, but by, 20, by, by the mid-90s, it was already as bright as it was ever going to get. I had to put down a female uh, last year in 2017, and she was old as dirt. She was hatched, Casey Lazic hatched her in 1994. Jesus. Wow. So she was 20, 23 years old. I, I got her from a, a friend of mine with the original feeding card from Casey Lazic with the bloodline information. And that thing was the nicest jungle in my collection. It was like, it easily rivaled or exceeded even the very best jungle I've had, I've ever, I mean, you know, that was 15 years her junior. It, it just not, it was as bright as you could possibly get and as clean and freakishly clean at 23 years old. She kind of had what appeared to be a stroke and became, she laid a clutch of eggs and then stroked out and was paralyzed for a year before I put her down, Damn. better part of a year. The last half of her body, she couldn't shed, she couldn't shit. She would eat kind of a little bit, but it was obviously, I literally gave it a year, and it was not going to recover. But it was 23, I mean. Yeah. But the point was only that that snake had already achieved that kind of dream jungle status that, like, when you envision the most flawless, perfect jungle you could possibly conjure an image of in your mind, mm-hmm. it hatched in 1994, 
23, 24 years ago. It's like, so where are we going with that? It's like, where, I mean, I wish people would pick a different direction. It's like, a, you can't make more attention or something. No, black or black. It's not possible. Yeah. And black is black. It doesn't get any blacker. You can't get more <laughs> yellow or more black. It's like, so it's trying it. to make that, it's like, all you can, all you can possibly hope to do is make more of the same. And that's just, it seems like it's, I mean, for the most popular of all carpets, uh, it, it just seems like there's a lot of other things you could do. You could, you know, and then you keep doing the stripe thing. It's like, that's so easy. It's like, why is that not already? You look at the Aussies, look at the Australians, and now, you yeah. know, back to Facebook. But you look and they post pictures of some just absurdly striped jungle carpets that are just crazy. Why do right. we, why can't we just make that? Because we could. Like, it, all it takes is, like, I've got a completely striped jungle that's glow-in-the-dark yellow and black. It's absolutely ridiculous. And she's an adult, and she is breeding for the first time, like, this morning. Uh, I don't know why she's striped. Uh, there was no striping in her ancestry. There was no, her parents were striped. There's no striping in her ancestry, which I know a tremendous amount about. It just, and in the clutch of like 18 babies, there's like one freak striped one. Just completely randomly, none of the other babies in the clutch were striped. I don't know why she's striped, but I'll bet you she makes striped babies, and I'll bet you I keep them all back. I'll bet you in a couple, in a few years, I'll have a consistently striped jungle line that's bright yellow. It's not right, and I, you see nicely striped jungles periodically, but no one ever seems to like stick with it for you know three generations and then right you know and produce, you know get to a point of consistency. I'm getting that point with the Darwins where I'll breed stripes to stripes, and they'll make all striped babies. Some will be better mm-hmm. than others, just like it you know the striped coats or anything else. But that you know that's low hanging fruit there. That's easy stuff. Uh, so I, oh, I, I prefer to I see that people to, I mean, everybody's to, got not black a, and yellow jungles. Even people who don't primarily work with jungles are starting to fall into these really good-looking pairs. So I, everybody now across the board, like, there's never the have to go to this guy to get the really nice black and yellow jungles. They're kind of everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Yeah. You can you could literally go buy some crappy, random, light-infested, freaking mystery jungle that's clearly not a pure jungle and it's some show from some flipper and you know what? It's probably going to be bright yellow. It's like, mm-hmm. it's literally yeah. that it's like even a, even a, you know, 25 years ago, if you got some like sketchy supposed to be jungles from some, you know, flipper or something, it probably wouldn't be that great looking. Now it's probably going to be bright yellow. It's surely not a pure jungle at this point, but it's, it'll be a yellow and black snake. Almost certainly it's, it's that common. We had in our jungle gene pool originally, way back in the, I'm, we're going back to the 80s now, so we're 30 plus years. Um, there are other looks in jungle carpets. They're not all yellow and black. In fact, in the wild, you're rarely going to find a yellow and something you describe as yellow and black. They're black and gold. They're brown, black, and gold. They're brown, black, and yellow. They're, they're any number of things, but you don't see you will one thing the one color combination you can be positive you will never find is a bright clean yellow and black that's really clean you might find a really dirty smudgy yellowish and black one but you're never going to find some like neon yellow that thing that people have in their cages is not a natural thing it's an yeah. artificial construct but initially in our gene pool we had other looks of jungle carpet other looks uh, and they're all gone. You can't even make them anymore because nobody bothered. They all got hypnotized by black and yellow. 
And I get it. Right. It's bright. It's flashy. But it's not all there is to jungle cart bits. I got, I got like, I guess for as old as I am and as kind of like I like to think of myself as being fairly mature, I'm prone to like fits of childishness sometimes. I can't <laughs> And I, I sometimes like get frustrated and like, I'm taking my Legos and going home. I'll just leave. You know, <laughs> just give up. And that happened on one of the, the jungle carpet page on Facebook, the most popular one. And I just got so pissed. I just like left the group and haven't been back. I was just, and it was about this exact issue. It was, you know, I posted like, because if you look on it, I, mean, I like a lot of those people. I have a ton of friends that are on there, a ton of friends who read Jungle Carpet. It's right. not that. It's, but it's just like one more picture of a bright yellow and black snake that looks just like the last 72 pictures. I just couldn't take it. So I made a post. I wasn't talking smack or anything, but I made a post like, hey, for your consideration, here's a whole shitload of other Jungle Carpets that don't look anything like the Jungle Carpets you guys have. Stuff from my own collection, this locality, that locality, this phenotype, different looks, you know, that, to show the diversity that should exist in jungle carpets but rarely does anymore, that there's more to jungle carpets than just bright yellow and jet black. And yeah. you just mm-hmm. thought it was just like blasphemy or something. Like, I was openly mocked. There's one person who I used to consider a friend that posted some picture along with a snarky comment. It's like, well, since Nick's, you know, advocating for muddy jungles, I don't know where the hell that came from. They posted some picture of something they thought was a turd, you know, that didn't turn out like they thought or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? This attitude is the problem. It's like that no one can appreciate. A jungle carpet has effectively become a morph, hasn't it? Yes. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) It's as far from natural as you can get. Um, You know, what did we do when we got jags? They wanted to combine it with a morph. But we didn't have a morph, so they used the jungle carpet. It's like, it's a morph. You know, it's like, it's the idea. It's like it's the morph sort of mentality. It's become that, and it's like, and if you get to a point in the hobby where people cannot appreciate the natural beauty that's inherent to these things for what it is, without it being some sort of a morph or mutant, and a jungle carpet mm-hmm. kind of falls into that, then that's that's shitty, in my opinion. It's like, you know, yeah, you might like, yeah, I mean. A bright yellow snake is eye-catching. I get it. I've got a freaking ton of them that are bright yellow. A ton. Mm-hmm. More than I yeah. know what to do with, uh, frankly. I'll sit out three or four adult females. I'm even going to put a male with this year, and they're all bright yellow, but I just, I've just i got that many. It's like, But if you can't appreciate a black and gold jungle, that is what they naturally are by and large, you know, or a jungle that's, you know what's beautiful that we don't have anymore? I had one male, but I parted with him because I tried to breed him for seven years, and he just was never going to breed. Um, right. Uh, a black, black, brown, and yellow, where you've got bright yellow bordered in black scales, but the black bands fade to a brown color in the middle. Now, you think, why would you want, like an IJ does, that kind of like <laughs> IJ brown fade in the middle of the blotches between the dark bands, but then yellow? It was freaking amazing. And that's not—that's a fairly common phenotype in wild jungles, where you get brown in the background. It's really cool looking, but nobody's gonna—I mean, it's not black, it's not solid black. It's like it's this very closed-minded sort of. It's like, ugh. Well, you know, this, the nobody, nobody's jungles. interested if it's not bright yellow and black. What? But gelatin jungles—I mean, they're stunning. I mean, they're gorgeous, yeah, but they're not—they don't fall into I, the black I, you and know, yellow. So. I don't and even know if most jungle people can work with them. Amazing. Yeah. They're not. 
I'm not going to care. I had a conversation in in person with a very well-known jungle carpet breeder, um, mm-hmm. and we're talking about gelatin jungles, and it's like you see like your eyes just glazing over in just in, in just in just grossly apparent disinterest. It's like, uh, not black and yellow. So it's like, why would you? Why would you possibly care about that? It's like this is a beautiful thing in its own right. It doesn't need to be it black is. and yellow. Not everything needs to be black and yellow. Almost killed Eric. You know, not everything, not everything needs to be, you know, I noticed one thing, Eric, again, I'm proud of you, my friend, like, you had a, a picture of, like, one of your, something you're trying to breed this year, and it was just a bone standard freaking coastal carpet, no more oh, not red, just a, a normal oh. wild type coastal, not anything yep. now, striped, just a completely, like, you go pluck that thing out of a gum tree somewhere, I'm like, <laughs> awesome, nobody does that anymore. What was the last time you saw somebody breeding just some normal coastals? Not red coastals, not jags, not stripes, not any mutants. Just a normal bandity kind of aberrant wild type coastals like you find up in a tree somewhere. You almost never see it. No. Yeah. I was like, yeah, right on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm telling you, like, really, the the thing that I've really, like, just even just different bloodlines of stuff and lines and, and and all that it's you know a lot of that gets lost and because nobody wanted to breed it and one of the things that drives me nuts is like when somebody has uh some type of you know normal carpet whatever subspecies you want to put it in and immediately they don't breed it to another subspecies to make more of it they breed it to a morph so now it's like <laughs> it's it's lost. <laughs> you just, I mean, if that animal dies, it's done. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, it, well, I mean, okay. Case in point, the best case in point, uh, Yasser. I mean, I was friends with Yasser for years, and we had falling ass. He's actually, you know, he's he's not really in the hobby anymore. He's disappeared, but he he's a good guy to eat down. But he had a a wild caught IJ female that he got from Royal Larry that he named Poster Child. It was literally like. The most hypo crazy. Well, it's it was about on, the ones that you and I are working with now are about on par with that. But this was like 20 years ago, forever mm-hmm. and a day ago. And you know that snake only ever laid two clutches of eggs in its life, and it died. Yep. He oh, got a small God. clutch, bred it to a normal IJ, and then the second time he bred it, he bred it to a stinking jag, and then it dropped dead. So it's like right. you can't find that line. It doesn't even exist anymore because the opportunity to really solidify like the greatest bloodline of IJs, or he's IJ again, ever, hmm. was de- almost two decades ago, but it got completely assed off because they can make an IJ jag and the thing croaked. I mean, it's like, like yeah. we already, the, the thing, the very thing that you and I are trying to make with that breeding loan this year would have been, happened like 18 years ago. I mean, it's like, it's yes, like, but it didn't because God breeds you a morph. It's like, oh my God! It's like at the time, you know, Yasser had probably the greatest collection of IJs in the country. I mean, he had a million yes. from a million places. Yes. And he, as much as he was a hybridizer, he had really he knew where everything was from, and all the bloodline stuff was totally straight. Like it was, he he knew what he had and what he was doing. It was just you know, you can't if you you, don't, you might only get you don't know that something's going to breed it all. And what if it only breeds one time and dies? It's like, you better make that count. It's, you know, if you're going to do something questionable like that, if it with something that's well-established, that's something else. It's like, it's like, well, they're, 
thousands of these out there, that's one thing. But if you're looking at only one of something, what if that's the only time it's ever going to do anything? And then that's what you do with it. It's, yeah. Then it's all over. Yeah. There's more than one example of that sort of thing. Not necessarily carpets, but just in general, to, you know, make it catch. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what they did with another species that uh, you know. Just the, I know me and you had talked about it before, Nick. Was but uh, dwarf ferns, where they're actually a separate species, and everybody got focused on trying to make smaller morphs. I think they do the same thing with retics too. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but aren't they retics separate species? Are, oh yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll tell you now. Like retics are probably. 15 species, but it takes a long time for that to get sorted out. There are currently, there had been uh, three subspecies names, but sometimes when they do like a paper and actually put a name on something, they kind of hedge their bets and name them as a subspecies. Uh, there's another paper that suggests there's as many as four other species of retics that aren't the same as those three species. So that would give you eight. You know, it's different recognized retics if you accept all of that. And there's, in the, put it this way, Indonesia is a, is a country of 15,000 islands. 15,000. There are retics on most of them. On the vast majority, they don't have retics on them. If you have 15,000 island populations of retics, what do you think the odds are that there's more species that are distinct? It's all but certainty, you know, uh, that there are more species of retics and some of these islands and stuff. So, to get something right. truly unique, and then immediately screw it to a mainland albino retic to make dwarf reach albinos, now we can't import retics anymore. You'll never get another wild-caught dwarf retic, but try to find yourself a pure dwarf retic. It's impossible. It's almost right. impossible. I bought a pair of retics because I just never bred retics before, and I thought, oh, that would be kind of cool. You know what was hard to find? Finding a, a, a normal retic that doesn't have some small percentage of dwarf retic blood hybridized into it. You can't even find a pure reticulatus that doesn't have some of the other stuff mixed in. You can. But I had to, I went into the Sacramento show and I got them, and I had to go to multiple people uh, to find mm-hmm. somebody that could assure me that they knew enough about the ad that there was no dwarf blood in there. Most of me asked them, was there any dwarf blood in there? They always, like, immediately tell you because they think it's a selling point. It's like, no, I, I absolutely will not have it if it's got that in there. Right. I don't want <laughs> that. <you know. laughs> I had the same thing, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> so, so, I don't know. I don't but, know. That, yeah, that's where I kind of went, and that's why I kind of, like, at least try to do, even if it's just a small part, that's, you know, I don't know. All you can do is your own part, though. That's really all yeah. any of us can do. We can just... I am really pretty good at this point in my old age at controlling what I do. That's yes. about as far as it goes. Like I, much to really my dismay, I have learned that I have, it turns out, very little control over what other people do. Uh, mm. I can you know, <laughs> try to be persuasive and pontificate all I want, but at the end of the day, people are, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to, yeah. you know, they're going to listen, they're not going to listen, they're going to do what they're going to do. And I can't control that. So I can just try to set a good example and do what I think is important and hope other people uh, see value in that and follow suit. And they will or they won't. But I already know that it, it does work because, I mean, even people that I talk to on a regular basis, there's like, 
these sorts of attitudes are on the upswing and stuff, but I, I see more people as I look around starting to pay more attention to these sorts of stuff. Wild mm-hmm. types, you know, bloodlines, keeping some lines straight and localities of things, whether it's, you know, regardless of the species. That is on the upswing in the hobby. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. It's, it's yeah. not. I mean, it's, it's not like you're ever going to win that battle necessarily, but it's like it does. I just, I guess, I'm not looking or angling to try to convince people that we need to, you know, this is something that is an absolute that we uh, can win necessarily, I guess. But it's kind of, uh, I just want to see a, more of a sense of balance, I guess, in the hobby, where mm-hmm. people can yeah. appreciate all sides of an issue instead of a very ridiculously narrow-minded one. You know, embrace a larger view of things. Appreciate the natural forms, the natural beauty of these things. This, you can appreciate a natural, the natural beauty of a wild-type jungle and still have bright yellow ones. You don't have to have yeah. one or the other. You can have or keep or at least appreciate both. But when you get to where people are like literally talking smack about something because it doesn't meet their completely made up standard of, you know, what they think this thing should look like, uh, and that's, you know, I hate when I see like, I guess I don't be able to jungle people too much, but you see it more often in the jungles in that you'll see reference to, uh, you know, uh, quality. Oh, that's a low quality or a high quality. It's like who who died and made that person poke to decide what quality is, you know. Quality is a completely yeah. subjective thing. It's like what I find quality. I I feel I, some of my favorite snakes. Most people think are would most you know, a lot of these guys would not have any interest in would never own because it's. But you know what makes something quality? That's you can't measure that. That's completely right. subjective. So yeah, I personally I don't know about you, but I've never seen an ugly carpet python. I've never seen a carpet python. They're all pretty cool, aren't they? It's, Oh, I you know, think so. I've got favorites. <laughs> I've seen. Yeah, I've got favorites. Doesn't matter yeah. what, but if there is such thing as an ugly one, it's like, oh, that's horrible looking. Not really. It's still a pretty sweet looking snake. Some you might like more than others, uh, for sure. But it's not. Uh, it's not like they're ugly. I mean, that's the coolest thing about carpets is the variability. I mean, you know, yeah. it's almost like when you're yeah. breeding natural. It's a crazy. You know, here's the you're breeding. Here's the irony of jungle carpets in 2018. You take the most variable species of python in the world and then for de- three decades try to breed all the variability out of it so that it's not variable at all. It all comes out the same. Yeah, that's just, yeah, I never thought about it that way, but now I'm never going to be able to not. Let's just eliminate all the variability and make every one of these things a freaking clone of the other and have no variability. It's something that was the most variable. It's, that's kind of what's happened. No. Yeah. are just such a moving target. It's Jungles, like once, you know, once you get that kind of a phenotype gets locked and you've eliminated all the genes for anything else, you can't ever go back. No, because those genes are gone. You've eliminated them from the gene pool. Yeah, we don't have any fresh blood coming in that hasn't been affected by this stuff. So no, we're it. Yeah, holding out hope for some fresh blood—that's just—that's never going to happen. Yeah. No, well, even if it did, it's not something you should, like, that's like holding out hope, like, oh, I don't need to do this or worry about this because we'll eventually get some new blood. That's like saying, like, I don't need to go to work today because I'm eventually going to win the lottery. That'd be that's, wonderful. But... <laughs> well, 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 I'll grant you that's theoretically possible. It's not really a sound financial strategy, is it? You know, it's, it's right. kind of, yeah, you can't. 
you know, you got to deal with what you have and assume the worst case scenario because life, as we all know, is oftentimes more close to the worst case scenario than our most rosy projections, isn't it? It's like, what's more likely? <laughs> well, you yeah. know, like, shit. Yeah. That, that's going to, you know, you're far more likely to get fired from your job than you are to win the lottery, aren't you? You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't be overly optimistic. And, uh, so, Absolutely. Or unrealistically so. so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, we might get uh, cut off at any point here now, but uh, real quick, Nip. Yeah, Nip, do you yeah. have any? Uh, All right. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. Talking. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, did you, if you could throw out, like, one tip. Like it's breeding season. Throw out a tip for for people as far as uh, you know pythons go. Whether it be keeping breeding, yeah, well, the secrets then everybody. Will be <laughs> you guys won't need me anymore. <laughs> Constantly in that like in that situation, where it's like the more information I give out, the more I undercut my own financial interest. Um, I'm trying to think of something very vague. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this stuff really, this really isn't that complicated. I mean, if you're, I mean, your guys' audience is mostly people who primarily work with carpets. And most people are carpets. They might have a scrub here or there, some chondros, these kind of other things. But it's that, the carpets are kind of the core of that, clearly, mm-hmm. of this demographic. And, I mean, as one of the largest breeders of carpets, like I'll have to admit, like that's pretty freaking easy. Like if you can't breed carpets, you probably should seek more gainful employment. It's pretty, they're not hard. They are so willing to get it on in a plastic tub or a box or whatever. that like, they, this is not like we're like, but this isn't like Boland's Python radio. Where we're really trying to figure it out. It's like, it's pretty much, this can drop the test about 70, back up about 80, chuck them together after a couple of weeks and they'll make eggs. It's really, and the eggs are, ridiculously hardy. It's really pretty easy. I, you can't really pat yourself on the back too much for reading carpets because they're pretty agreeable. Yeah. You know? I mean, some are, you know, some are a little harder than others, but even the ones that are a little harder are still pretty easy, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, just follow the formula. Sometimes, I would say, like, and this is not probably the only time I would say something like this, but sometimes it's good to think inside the box. It's like, this is how you breed pythons in general. And it certainly, I mean, there's the standard sort of tried and true for 30 plus years, 40 years, python breeding recipe. You do A, B, and C, and eggs come out the other end. And (laughs) that works for the vast majority of pythons. And it certainly works for carpets, doesn't it? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's not, quit trying to reinvent the wheel and come up with some crazy new thing. It's like, just do the thing that you know works. Like I've, I'm doing the, you know what I'm doing? My temperature cycling, my whole strategy is exactly the same for 24, 25 years now. It hasn't changed a bit. I haven't even changed right. temperatures. You know why? Because the very first year I tried it, I got 100% success. I tried four females. I got my first year attempting to breed anything. I had four female carpets. I got four clutches. It worked 100% of the time on the first try. I just never changed anything. Because why? Right. Because you can't get better than 100%. There's no extra credit in snake breeding. <laughs> There's no 110%? Damn it. <laughs> you know, I, I have known people that try and do different things. And, you know, I famously had a long-standing feud with old Terry about this. And though so that's been <laughs> long since, you know, put to, 
that is long since put to bed. Me, Terry and I are good. I don't, we don't argue about that stuff anymore. That was, you know, admittedly childish, especially on my part, probably. Um, uh, back in those days, I'll admit that now. But, you know, I have yet to see anybody who's doing something appreciably different than I'm doing who's getting a better success rate than me. Right. Like, if right. I see somebody doing something completely different and they're getting a better sort of batting average than I'm getting, I would seriously get consideration of what they're doing what they're saying. But that's just not the case. What right. works the best and works with the greatest consistency is what most of us are all already doing, and that's why we're doing it. Sometimes right. the conventional wisdom is, in fact, the conventional wisdom because it works. And if you right. think outside the box, you only can go, you're only going to, you might still get something, but you're probably going to get less. And maybe that works for you. Maybe it's not that important. Maybe doing some of these other things, uh, you know, sits your lifestyle better or whatever, and that's completely possible, and you might still get something, and that's just fine. But this, I have yet to see any evidence that there's any system that works better than the basic, the, the fundamental. You know, it's like because it, it's the fundamentals because it works. Right. So think inside the box. That's my advice. Quit trying to reinvent the wheel. It's, <laughs> it's so easy like already. It. What do you I mean? We try to experiment and come up with something. You're not going to come up with anything that works better. At least there's no, there's no evidence of that. I know people that have done some goofy stuff and gotten eggs, but you know, I look at the number of animals I put together, the number of females I try to breed in a given season, and the percentage mm-hmm. of them that produce. And mm-hmm. I have yet to see anybody get even close doing anything else. They might get something. You might get, you know, fifty percent of them even hell. But you're not getting mm-hmm. 70, 80% of your females going doing any of this other stuff. Um, I just, uh, it just seems like that is, uh, that's what works. So think inside the box, quit trying to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> do what, that's good advice. Do what you, already know is, what you already know is going to work. It's like, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't get that. Like, if I have, there are species that are hard to breed. There are outliers that, like Spreadles pythons, don't really do. You can treat a brettles python like any other carpet and occasionally mm-hmm. get eggs. But you will right. only occasionally get eggs. And you will occasionally hatch some babies. You will not get awesome, predictable, year in, year out, every, you know, great fertility, great, you know, percent. I mean, you don't get that. You'll get hit or miss kind of results. And there are a lot of people that will, oh, I didn't do anything and I got eggs. It's like, well, yeah, that's a clutch. But do it again next year. Did you get ten clutches? Well, yeah. yeah. Like I get, I get as many clutches of brittle pythons as I try to. If I put seven, I will get a hundred percent of whatever number of females I put through the paces. That's how many clutches I will get. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they are so like clockwork because you don't have to wonder what the environmental trigger that stimulates breeding is. It gets really freaking cold in that area, and they breed when it warms right. up, and it's it's very cut and dry. Things that are more equatorial and everything that don't have such a pronounced seasonal temperature cycle, it can be more nuanced as to what gets them in the mood and gets them doing their thing. But you don't mm-hmm. have to wonder. It's like breeding corn snakes. You don't have to wonder what the trigger to breed a corn snake is. You know what it is because it's freaking new of winter. It's in North America, for God's sake. You don't have to wonder. It's not a mystery. Right. Uh, one thing I think that contributes to this, probably the last thing I'll talk about, but this idea that you can do nothing and be successful is domestication. People that are in the hobby now and doing a lot of these things, they don't, a lot of them, the younger ones don't really realize that we have domesticated all of these species. Um, 
by multi-generations of captive breeding. What happens inevitably is that, you know, if you had some wild hot rattles pythons and you tried to never cycle them, you would get precisely zero eggs. That would just never right. work. Uh, but every generation of, select, of captive breeding, we are inadvertently domesticating animals at a rapid rate without really trying. We, we, we select for color and pattern because we like that. But you know what you're also selecting for? Easier breeders, animals that breed easier with less stimulus, and animals that eat rodents better. Because right. the animals that you're doing these things unconsciously because the animals that need a tremendous amount of environmental stimulus to induce breeding, they are less likely to produce, aren't they? And the animals that are within a species that are more amenable to breeding at warmer temperatures, doing less, they are statistically more likely to pass their genes along. And the animals, you know, let's use the brettle python analogy. Baby brettle pythons that hold out for skinks generally die, don't they? They don't live. You know, the ones that are actually the most diehard dead-ender animals that are just convinced that there's going to be a skink coming around the corner at the next minute and they're going to hold out, they generally, they survive at a lower rate, thus they pass their genes along at a much lower rate. The ones that eat rodents the fastest, they generally are the ones that eat the rodents the most. They grow the fastest. They get the largest. They leave the most offspring behind, and they pass on that tendency towards eating domesticated rodents. And over generation after generation after generation, that's why coastal carpets are the easiest thing to get feeding because they're the most generations removed from a wild ancestor. So they, might, they are the descendants of animals who for five generations all decided it was okay to hop or mouse, even though that's an absurdity because mice aren't even native to Australia. They're there, but they're not instinctively recognizing that because they're not supposed to be there. But, you know, it's why hognose snakes come out of the egg and eat a pinky mouse, the most unnatural thing you could possibly imagine a baby hognose ever even encountering. But they do it <laughs> because the ones that insisted on the ones that insisted on toads didn't live to make eggs. So we room for the you know, children's pythons. Every generation get easier to breed. It's easier to not, they're always easier to breed, but easier to get feeding. Why? Because we keep reinforcing without trying. We keep reinforcing this. You can selectively breed for prey preference. You can selectively breed for easier breeding, and both of those things happen without even trying. Because the ones that wouldn't breed didn't breed. And the ones that wouldn't eat didn't live long enough to make babies. So we just constantly, right. and the longer, the longer and longer that goes. So when somebody says, well, I bred this and I didn't do anything, it's like, yeah, but that's a domesticated animal. And one of the hallmarks, of, I actually wrote an article on this, one of the hallmarks of domestication is easier breeding. You know, right. What happened with wolves when we domesticated wolves and wolves became dogs? They became non-seasonal. Wolves go in to eat once a year, and only the alpha pair even breed. Now dogs go to eat a couple. Where they breed twice a year, don't they? That's not yeah. natural. That's an artifact of domestication. The easier right. breeding, the easier reproduction, and more frequent reproduction. So what we're seeing with, you know, there was a time if you go back and read Ross and Marchek's book, they're talking about ball pythons being hard to breed. There's a picture in there of like a trying to group breed ball pythons must have eight of them in one big ass cage because they can't figure out how to get those things to breed. How crazy right. is that? Ball pythons, so many generations later, ball pythons are now non-seasonal breeders that you can just chuck them together and not do anything and get eggs routinely because we've domesticated them. So those, we just, that goalpost of what it takes in terms of stimulation to get an animal to reproduce is not static. It's a movable goalpost. You can move it a little bit. There's a little bit of wiggle room in there. And over the time, as the generations march on, 
We had just moved the goalpost to make it easier for anything to breathe without being aware that we were doing it. You know? Uh, right. The mice that we yeah. see, all these snakes, are Europe, is a European species. It's not native to Africa, but why do ball pythons always eat it on the first try? They shouldn't even recognize it because we just reinforced that without trying. Because if it really held out for something exotic, it probably didn't live. So we just keep, we're domesticating these things. So that when people say these things and they do these things, they get these results and they think that they've done something, it's like, no, you've, just, you've inherited a, an animal that has been, we have moved that goalpost so close together that you can do very little now, and that will continue. So you want, mark my word, you need it right now. If you want good, consistent results with Brennan's pilot, you've got to cycle them harder than you do this other stuff to get good, consistent results. But right. if you fast forward 20 years and four more generations, five more generations, you'll be able it's to breed them. I will guarantee you, you'll be able to breed them with considerably less effort. And some of these other things like, you know, poplin carpets, you'll be able to breed those without doing anything. They'll be non-seasonal. You'll just go chuck them together in the middle of summer and get eggs anytime. Uh, right. That's what is going to happen. And then somebody is going to stand up and say, oh, you don't need to do anything. I, I, you don't need unit." As if you never needed to do those things because you don't need to do it currently. But that's only because of all the generations that preceded the animals you had made that easier. Right. right. That makes sense. That's kind of why I'm enjoying yeah, my little colubrid kick and my, you know, weird pythons because they're kind of out there and you still have to work at it a little bit. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you. I've been thinking about getting, like, Honduran milk snakes for some reason. I've never bred a colubrid snake other than African house snakes. I've bred... Oh, I got... I, I like I mean, the blue a tremendous number of awesome. pythons and python species and a fair few, you know, tree boas and, you know, all that. Uh, you know, some rare corrala stuff I bred. But, uh, yeah, for some reason I've been thinking, like, I've never bred, like, some good old, like, North American colubrids. I've been kind of thinking of picking up some, some Mexican black kings, maybe some... Honduran milks or something. I don't know. <laughs> I was at a show this weekend. And I was at a show this weekend. And like, oh, man, you know, I never pay attention to these things. These are awesome. Like, I should get some of these. Yeah, uh, cool. Yeah. I have to get more. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, inlandreptile.com, right? That's your website, right, Nick? Yeah, and changed oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 20 years, yeah. <laughs> so anybody listening, uh, feel free to buy a bunch of snakes. I have a lot of them I need to sell, probably. Um, I got a list. you ever get so busy with having, maintaining them, you don't have time to try to advertise them? I find yes. myself like, I have so many baby snakes that I don't even have time to advertise them, but that's the catch for too, because if you don't do that, then you don't sell them, and thus you've maintained a large number of snakes. And what, you know, it's like just... Oh my God! This is like yeah, gotta, nothing happening. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the thought like I look at it's like this every year. I have some millions of snakes. I'm thinking, am I actually trying to make more of these right now? <laughs> <laughs> but it always seems to work out, you know. Right. It always seems to work out. I'm going to take it a little easier this year just because I need a I need a light year. I, I haven't had a light year in a long time, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Oh, and by a light year, I'm shooting for, I'm talking like 30 clutches. 200. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Maybe 40, maybe 40 clutches of pythons in total. Uh, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, it's a 
easy year. That was year. my worst year. <laughs> that, that is a light year. There was, in, 2004, in 2014, I had 47 clutches of carpets. Wow. Just carpets. Holy That's not shit. everything else. It's Ugh. just the carpets was 47 clutches. God. Um, it was way too many. Yeah, I'll never do that again, uh, ever. Even this last year, I think I had 36 or 37 clutches of carpets in 2017. And mm-hmm. it was obvious the carpets are breeding like crazy, so I quit breeding ball pythons. I literally produced one clutch of ball pythons, five eggs, because I pulled the males out. I'm like, I didn't want to deal with that because it looks like the carpets are going to just be a tidal wave of carpet pythons. I didn't want to deal with any ball pythons, so I just quit. I have some good ball pythons. I didn't put them together. I had one male that locked with one female, and I ended up getting a clutch. Uh, so that was just the only one clutch of them because I just didn't want to deal with it. It's too much. Oh, man. I mean, not to beat up on the ball pythons, but if you're going to not breed one thing, that's the one. You know? That's the one, right? <laughs> that was the easy was the easy choice. Do I do I breed my Solomon Islands ground bones or do I breed these ball pythons? Yeah, no, yeah. we'll do the ball pythons. Good choice. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 there's nothing wrong with them. I have kind of problems with the community, like a lot of things. I don't think there's, mm. there's nothing wrong with any snake or group of snakes. Sometimes there are oh, problems I'll... with, like, the community of people that are into them, though. Um, so Amen. I, I don't – I don't uh, – I don't really work with chondros. I don't work with boas, really, boa constrictors. It's not because I don't like those snakes. It's just that, like, I'm at my wit's end dealing with the carpet python community and such sometimes. It's, I can't imagine, like, having my toes in any significant way in all other communities with a whole other stuff. You know, it's like it's just too much. Right. Yeah. So I stay out of it. Like, yeah, I, even the ball pythons, I mean, people will be surprised and how I breed them. I don't make a lot of them, but it's uh, – I just, Yeah, I, I like I haven't even put one on my website in, in years. You don't ever see you list them, so you must just sell them at like shows or word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. I've I've made I think seven world's first ball python combinations. Not that anybody would notice that, but (laughs) yeah, over the years. Does does anybody care? Even I don't care. The thing is, the thing is, is I don't even care. That's right. I, I I stopped caring about that back when people still did care about that. Like, I, nah, who cares? It's like it's not like it's difficult to do. Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, that that one I don't care about so much. I remember you saying that on Reptile Radio, and those guys were like, you know, blown away by whatever it was that you were doing, and they were like, you're just like, yeah, it's it is yeah, whatever. <laughs> No big I deal. Don't. It's kind of like <laughs> it isn't a big deal. It's like right. You know, it's like it's literally like it's like patting yourself on the back because you rolled some dice or something. It's like you're just like <laughs> you have X number of mathematical possibilities based on these genes. You rolled the dice and this is what you rolled. It's like if you rolled and got a good roll of the dice. Is that really something to boast about? Not really. You lucked out, you didn't, or whatever. But it's not like you. Because you're a better breeder, no you get on the higher combos. It's like you just like you hit the odds or you didn't. Right. It's just a roll of right. dice, so that's not really a you know, breeding a rare species or something that's difficult to reproduce. That's cool. Like I'm immensely pleased when I get tanabar python eggs because uh, it's oh, yeah. really, really freaking difficult to get tanabar eggs. 
you're going to hear me out by you. If I breathe my white lips, I'm just going to start screaming. You'll be able to hear me, like, out in Washington. So Now, if you, you know. breathe, are you talking golds or black ones? Golds. It doesn't really matter. If you breathe no. any white lips, Python, you have done something. That, you should spike the football if you breathe white lips, Pythons. That is All one right. of the hardest Pythons to breathe. They're twitchy. They're nervous. <sighs> they're mate-selective. You have yeah. accomplished something. It's like if you breathe any scrub python, any scrub python, you have done something. You know, if you breed a ball python, you really haven't done a whole lot. I mean, I breed Amazon tubos. <laughs> I love them, but yeah, it's no point in spraying your wrist, patting yourself on the back, breeding those things. They're completely non-seasonal. You chuck them together, and literally every time the babies pop out. It's like it's the easiest thing in the world. It's not, not hard to do, <laughs> you know. You put a male near a female. Congratulations. Oh, my God. Like, I don't think I've ever put a pair together that didn't produce a litter. Um, it's, you literally can breed them on accident. And if you can do it on accident, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Holy shit. I bred ball pythons on accident. Yeah, you actually like, put them together for cleaning, and you're like, damn it. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, leave each other alone. It's like, yeah. Why do people say they do that? Like, who puts animals together for cleaning? Why is that not really a true thing? I'm I don't know. I, shit on that. I've never heard that. I've never you done it. Do you know what the putting animals together for cleaning is? That's like, I'm going to breed some sketchy shit. I don't really want to take the heat, so I'm just going to say I put them together for cleaning. Uh, you know. Always blame it on that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Buy yourself exactly a bucket. It like, I, <laughs> you know, oh my God. I mean, yeah, exactly. They're like five bucks at Home Depot. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I've got a, uh, I've got a white garbage can, it's like half size from a restaurant supply store, like it's it's white food service grade one. Yeah. And it's on like a little rolling dolly thing that, like, it really, just for like the olive pythons and stuff. When I got to clean them, uh, just be, if I got to deep clean in there because it's it's a bigger animal, but. Everything else just gets flung over my shoulder or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, put one together for cleaning yeah. for hours. I've screwed up. I've had I've had animals breed that I didn't intend to breed. I might have a clutch this year that I'm just disgusted. You guys will find. This will be my last statement. Uh, I okay. fucked up epically this year. Um, I might have inadvertently made hybrids. <clears throat> oh. Um, <laughs> well, it's way too early to know. Wait, and then I have weird sort of don't know what to do. I, uh, I've got a beautiful female zebra, made a great clutch for me last year, and I've got the male in there this year, and he's not doing squat. Same pairing as last year. He just wasn't doing it. So I put another male in there to combat them. Uh, and then I forgot them overnight. <laughs> uh, when I'm putting the males together for combat, like – when I'm combating males, I'm putting males there. I mean, I might be combating, like, 20 males, like, in pairs. There's, like, 20 different males. And right. oftentimes it's with a female present because you get a little bit more action. There's a female, but then the fight over that's present. And for whatever reason, they weren't being very active about batting each other around. That I, when I went, at, you know, an hour later or half hour or whatever, you just let them get worked up a little bit. You don't mm-hmm. leave them long enough for anybody to breed. You know, and I went back, pulled up, separated all the males, you know, no problem. Uh, except for one I missed. Uh, so I had a male exantic coastal uh, oh. and a male zebra spent the night with a female zebra. Now, oh. I didn't see anybody, bred. Nobody's bred. 
that male exam fish is, is a proven breeder as well. And he was not breeding in the morning when I discovered this. I just had like a, like kind of a bad feeling about that. I didn't want to like, oh, wait, I feel like I messed something up horribly. And I, I kind of like had a thinking feeling, and I opened the tub, and they were both still in there. Now, he wasn't breeding. He was just kind of sitting there all curled up. With the, they were all three curled up together. But he could have. So right. at that point, if she lays a clutch, I won't really know. I'll know if there's a super zebra in the clutch, that at least the super zebra baby had to have been from the other male. Right, right. So, But anything else could have been a dual-sided clutch, could have been, you know, whatever. It's like, what do you think I should do? Should I continue to breed a male to that female and get something? Because she'll go. Should I just throw the eggs in the garbage uh, if she lays them and just not incubate them? Um, Mm. Or what? I don't mm. really know. It's a uh, well. Technically, if I, if I can't breed the, the male zebra, the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We, uh, no, yeah, no, no, we're not, not. No, you're not having this conversation. I'm trying. I'm trying. We're not doing I, that. I might have made some zebras head exantic. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't put a male in there. This has been like a week and a half. I'm the man, no male's been in there. I haven't been figuring out what to do. I'm like. If I keep breeding the zebra male to her, then if I get any super zebras, like could only be from that. But then anything right. else is question would mark. still be suspect. If, yeah. So yeah. it's like, do I just make them and sell them as what they are? I mean, or best I can tell and just tell people, I don't know if this might, is, you know, you have to assume this thing's a mix and who the hell knows. Do I just throw the eggs in the garbage if she lays the clutch and, you know, not, I don't really know what to do. So I've just done nothing. <laughs> well, I, w- I would throw the zebra in there because then you might get, you know, multiple supers or something like that. So you can kind of at least get that bang for the buck. And then, you know, anything that isn't... Uh, exactly. That's the other problem. Either I'd say either blackhead food or, you know, uh, um, <laughs> sell them as they are, knowing that they could, would probably are just, mixes. It's not as if, like, another clutch of unknown carpets was, like, in a, you know, yeah, one more of 5,000 this year. It's kind yeah, of right. it's other people. It's just, that it, yeah. <laughs> it's just the irony is that I might need always never shut up about the issue, and I might have done the damn stuff oh, myself. It's like, the irony is not being an idiot. Don't you worry. <laughs> so that is just, <laughs> we oh, see that. <laughs> It'd be hard to not incubate the eggs. I mean, yeah, I know. It'd be weird. I, don't right? know, I guess it's not have to. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could just give the damn things away for free, which I would have no problem doing, but it's still like, I don't know. Why don't you do a, it's ma- like a maternal incubation it's the world's experiment? biggest hypocrite. Yeah, try yeah. to get I've something done that out of it. Death. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't maternal know. Maternal incubation just... experiment where I drop the ambient to 50 degrees and see what happens or something. Or slightly <laughs> not the extendable yeah. clutch, yeah. Yeah, do like Owen did and unplug your incubator and Shut see up. what happens. <laughs> do it one goddamn time. See if I, you can still hatch them. They put them on the shelf in the room. Yeah, I know. That's they just all had problems. You know? Man. That whole entire clutch was wrong. <laughs> yeah, now it's, uh, yeah, the irony that I might have actually made some unknown mystery carpets that are possibly hybrids. Is uh, not lost on me at all. Like I said, Great. it was one night and there was no witness lockups at all, but it's possible. Yeah. So, so male's just sneaky. I'm going to put another male in there. It was early enough. She probably just won't lay anything. 
But I always worry about sperm storage going forward. It's like, is it better to, like, press on, get a clutch, and then have it kind of – because it'll kind of clear out the pipes, so to speak. Yeah, I would do that. Less likely to Yeah, I would. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. It's my best breeder female zebra. I've got I've got seven female zebra breeders, so this is the one that's most likely to lay a clutch. Um, <laughs> well, the others are the others are all virgins. None of the others have ever laid. I've got that have never laid a clutch, and one that has. I have one zebra that's ever laid a clutch, and I have one super zebra female that's laid a clutch, and then I have two virgin super zebras that have never laid clutches. As well, yeah, I'd, say, I'd say get the eggs. Otherwise, you're like you said. If she retains sperm, you'll sit her this you season, guys, and then her next clutch is either in question. You, either you guys need an adult female super zebra. I have six. Well, well, yeah, this, this is part of the program where shit gets tempting, and I have to run away. <laughs>